Give me your gun. What's going on over there? I'll show you with the box. Who's in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my son. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? And welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says in the tin. It's best film ever. My name's Ian. And I'm Liam. And I'm Ellie. And we have not, like, removed Georgia from the podcast. She is just otherwise occupied at this moment and will be joining us later. On the flip side. On the flippity flap. The flippity flap. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here today uh, and to review yet another film. Imagine that. It's kind of what wow. we do. Mm. If we started reviewing like restaurants, I'd be like, we have clearly, there are podcasts like that. I would enjoy that. that. Exactly. But if you yeah. kind of like downloaded <laughs> Best Film Ever and it was like, I want to talk to you about this restaurant I went to, <laughs> A, the 52% of our listeners who are from the United States would be like, well, that's me out. <laughs> yeah. We did do the Breakfast Club. We did the, yes, we didn't we review did. like the <laughs> breakfast they had. Um, so, uh, Liam, do you yes. know what episode we are up to right now? Because oh, I do the bit where I say, thank you so much, whether this is your first episode or your mmph episode. Do you know I'm, how many we're up to? I'm going to say 35. You're high. Oh, damn it. This is episode 30. <laughs> this is triple X, but it's not triple X rated. It's just triple X in triple Roman X. numerals. I always get this wrong. That's, well, you know. You know, I should be up on this. I should know this. You sh- well, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> that's always um, a guessing game for me. And it is. That's why we. That's why, I've, that's why I've kind of put it in there every week. It's a guessing game. <laughs> and uh, a guessing game. I'll tell you what. I was doing a guessing game last week with the Hitman's Bodyguard. Because I'm going to be honest and drop the veil here a bit. Go for that's it. me dropping the veil. Um, <laughs> well done. Thank you. It's that uh, when Georgia announced Hitman's Bodyguard, my internal executive producer hat was going... <laughs> Oh, like really? <laughs> like, I look forward to the four downloads this episode will get. You know, I, I would never have guessed by the look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> that bit where the voice sounds happy, yeah. the mic on my face is like, are you kidding me? Honestly, folks, you're going to see this face. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, you've got to reveal your choice at the end of this episode. I hope you remember that. I do, yeah. At the end, though. Don't, don't go ahead and throw mm-hmm. it out now. So, um, and actually, it's done really, really well, The Hitman's Bodyguard. More so, I'm guessing people who aren't me knew what the film was. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I enjoyed it, and we got a lot of good feedback on it, so that's always good, too. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of that sort of thing, um, actually, the last time I did that sort of, like, I went, oh, that's not going to do very good, which when Ellie brought forward Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, and I, and it was. Did really well. And that did really well. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, I, and I was like, yeah, there's no, like, well, what, why, why are we doing this? One there's of the no, best. There's no point <laughs> So, if it. you haven't yet listened to that episode, and you like the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, you should definitely go back and listen to it, just so it boosts the numbers for just that episode. So it <laughs> really annoy Ian. <laughs> if, if you're like, I want to see Ian proven wrong more often, you, this is your opportunity. You yes. can do so with the Hitman, not Hitman's Bodyguard. You can do it with that too, but you can also do it with the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> why not? Um, Liam, you always like it when we chart in places we're not really expecting to. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. You too. Okay. So we're charting in the UK, which mm. might be ex- yeah. well, not expected. We're very thankful for anybody who listens. But yeah. it's the one I would expect to chart in. Given As that's, we come yeah. from the UK. Yeah. Don't necessarily expect where to we're chart, currently but we situated. expect that people would listen from the UK yeah. if it's going to be it's from nice. somewhere. Yeah. It's nice. Even if it's neighbors or friends yeah. or somebody. But we're also <laughs> we char- expect something. We're also charting in Malaysia. 
Yes, cool. Which is cool. We're still charting in Belgium. Wow. We love you, Belgium. I love the Belgians. We're going to have to make a trip to Belgium. We, uh, we joked about it. Mm-hmm. I think it I needs think to happen. It needs to. Thankfully, there's nothing going on in the world that will prevent international travel. <laughs> <at this time>. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we are the number one film and TV, not just film review, film and TV podcast in Sierra Leone. Oh, that week. is fantastic. We're like number Excellent. 14 out of all podcasts in Sierra Leone. <laughs> Wow, a big thing. Can out. you only imagine, like, you know, because given how broad, you know, yeah. podcasting is, like the things that we must be in direct competition with. That's incredible. You know, and, and things that we would have never heard of, because I imagine, I think Sierra Leone speaks French, I think. Sierra Leone, brilliant. It would sound French, Sierra Leone. Is that is that one of our most random places? Unexpected places, absolutely. Mm. Like, if you'd said, Ian, sort of, you know, list like 50 places that, you know, you might expect to whatever, Sierra Leone would not have made my list. Is that where um, Clint did some of the movies? I don't know the Sierra answer Leone? to that. Hmm. I don't know. Neither. I don't know. I just rings a bell for some reason. Indeed. So their official language is English in Sierra Leone. <laughs> okay, there we go. So um, there we go. So thank you for enjoying the yeah. English sounds of our voice from English people and non-English people. Thank you, Sierra Leone. Thank you, Sierra Leone. <laughs> uh, shout outs to people who aren't Sierra Leone. Uh, shout outs to the Paul and Griff show who just every time we put something up, they're just wrecking it retweeting it telling people to watch us or listen to us not watch us um and they're really pushing for us to do point break and i said don't worry liam and i are both eager to do point break it it will show up at some point yes we will not shrug off this podcast coil without doing an episode of point break even if it's like we're we're, we're quitting i'll make sure point break (laughs) is like our goodbye thing if anything yeah Yeah. might be our sign off Uh, it's a musical podcast i was talking about chicago because i'm getting ready for a production of Chicago yeah. currently. And so yeah. uh, they did an episode on Chicago. It was very, very, very good. I spoke to them about a little pro wrestling with uh, CM Punk, and they were wrecking the episode on um, the Hitman's Bodyguard around to a bunch of people. So mm. much appreciated, folks. Thank you. The Burnt Toast podcast, who shouted us out on their show. Now we're shouting them out on our show. Yes, we are. It's the circle of shoutouts. <laughs> uh, they had a really interesting second episode. I listened to it today while I was getting some research done. And the question was, how many like children do you think you could beat in a fight? <laughs> So our friend Sam did like a like a comedy sketch about how you know yeah. could, you know how many children could you actually fight. So it brought me back to that. But they were actually legitimately going, well, okay, how big are these children? Yeah, how big you know, and how old are these? Are children? they five year olds? Yeah. They're five year olds. I could probably do a bunch before they they, they outswarmed me because in reality, you know, like they're not going to get my chin anytime soon. But if they're middle teenagers, oof. well, teenager maybe. But if they're like ten. Ten. Okay, then maybe like you know, I, I could take on a good three. I think a good three. <laughs> three is a magic number. Um, the uh, Tina Marie Tempert from the Psychedelic Podcast. She keeps recommending ours to others. Thank you very much, Tina Marie. The Effin Nerds Podcast. You do great stuff. I listened to one of their episodes this week. It was great. Cool. Quantum Week. Old friends of the podcast. They were endorsing. I recommended us to someone, and they went, "No, best film ever. Does good stuff." And I went, "Oh, thanks oh, a lot. Really yeah, appreciate that." Uh, idiots discuss the universe. Not idiots in my mind because they think we're great. So I'm going to say you're not idiots. You're you're, no you're very smart people. New listener Sam Bird who enjoyed our roundtable. Some of the usuals not before coffee. Coffee talk with CJ, a friend of the podcast Lestat, Yay, friend of the Lestat. podcast Dwayne Smith. Hello, Dwayne. Uh, Ethan from Talking the Mickey decided to go ahead and tell us he has some viewpoints on the whole uh, Andrew Garfield as Spider Man. Oh, okay. He yeah. said Garfield's good, but the movies are trash. <laughs> Which is kind of how I feel about Dalton yeah. in reverse. I think Dalton was a terrible Bond. I think the Bond movies were good, though, despite that. I'd see now. I quite like Timothy Dalton. Oh, did you? Maybe yeah. it's the other way around. Maybe I'm misremembering. I don't know if I've seen his Bond films. That's a film you don't often watch. Yeah. 
And so on the note of Ethan from Talking the Mickey, just a quick little promo. We do a sister podcast called Talking the Mickey, and we did Moana. You're welcome. And that's available. And then in a couple days, our episode on Maleficent will drop, and you will hear our thoughts on that. And just with that in mind, I just want to bring up, it's a fantasy football day. Fantasy football. We have our podcast league in fantasy football. And I, yes, we do. I I'm sit, getting well into this, I even, s- though I'm, <laughs> even though I'm second last. <laughs> and I sit here at the uh, top of the table, as we would say in this country. And I'm virtually at the bottom. You're, uh, you're just about <laughs> at the bottom. So I'm in first, and I've got um, Alex from Main Street Finance, a friend of the podcast there. Well, they're all friends of the podcast here. Uh, I was victorious over Russ last week, as it should be. Mm, they kicked me. Oh, see, against me, it proved that Nick and Russ don't know anything. So, you know. <laughs> I've got uh, other Ellie, Alex this week. You've got other Alex that from, from that, that song from that movie. Uh, we'll see who'll be singing a sad, sad song after this week. And you beat Georgia last week. Oh, am I at second overall in the league? Yes, you are. Oh, I didn't know that. That's exciting. Well, okay, we really need to work mm-hmm. on checking that. <laughs> I'm Georgia, still second from the Georgia's bottom. in sixth, and she's got Russ, who's in fifth. So there we go. And then Liam is facing our friends at Defining Disney. I am indeed. You're both winless. So as they would say <laughs> in the biz, someone's O has got to go. Uh, that'll be me. Because you are both <laughs> O and 2. So we'll see who will be 1 and 2 and who will be the only O and 3 team. Oh, Georgia could be O. Georgia could also be O. And three. She's had some bad luck. She's got the second most points, but is somehow in sixth. So I did a James Bond poll last week, Liam. Okay, yeah. Because we had the news, and I a couple things. I mean, we were saying yeah. first off, I had I thought I wasn't really feeling Tom Hardy, and you no, definitely weren't. Feeling I, Tom I'm Hardy. definitely not feeling him. And so we thought, okay, is it that or is it Idris? And then we went, what about someone else? Is it Richard Madden, maybe, or is, or is there somebody else potentially out there? It wasn't Tom Hiddleston? Tom Hiddleston wasn't the thing. So I, I put yeah, it out there yeah. and I gave three options. You could do uh, Idris Elba, Tom Hardy, Richard Madden, or someone else. And you had to say who it was in the comments mm-hmm. if, you're so, if you wanted to. And uh, 54% of people said Richard Madden from, yeah. from, from The Bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the King in the North, whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the family from Winterfell called? Starks. The Starks, yeah. Rob Stark. Rob Stark. Uh, second was Idris Elba with 22.7. Uh, then Other. With 13%. So it'd be our unofficial poll, but only 9% of people went, yeah, Tom Hardy's a red choice. <laughs> Do you oh. think that's a red herring? No. If you're Tom Hardy, why would you float your name out there? Mm. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, some people jumped yeah, in. Um, new listener James Homoki said that uh, he prefers Madden because it's 10 years of extra Bond films. Uh, I don't know if we're getting, you know, 20 years out of whoever Bond is going to be anymore. So I do think- you think this franchise is going to carry on Endlessly. If the, yeah, as, as long as it keeps making money, absolutely. Oh, okay. Why wouldn't you? Uh, Dwayne Smith, friend of the podcast, just Henry Goulding, who is a British actor of Asian descent, and he was in Crazy Rich Asians. And that's a really interesting idea because we've been so busy going, it's, it's, it's a white actor or it's a black actor. And you're going, well, hang on, there's a whole bunch of other representations you could actually go with here. And I haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians, but I saw the picture of the guy, and I'm like, you put him in a suit and tell me he's James Bond, I'd buy it. <laughs> I totally would. Mm. So yeah, uh, Brent Atticus just said an actor called Duncan Casey, who I've never heard of, but I went and so he I've has, a, tw- he has a Twitter account and he's an award-winning actor of some sort. So mm. good shout! Twitter, yep. <laughs> Twitter account. That's all you need. He's not verified, so he doesn't have that many followers. Oh, okay. Uh, Lestat, Lestat gave me like a laundry list. Like I'm like it was okay. like it was like eight guys. I'm like you, like you, you got to pick one. Okay, what are the the few he did pick? Well, some of the ones that I, I note down here. Yeah, Henry Cavill. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, it's... Yeah, the only he, thing, yeah, he's you, Superman. Though, yes, of he? course. Yeah, yeah. You can't mix the... Hey. Just, yeah. But then again, I mean, you don't know Venom and Tom Hardy. He's Bane. Yeah. Like, Tom Hardy's just doing everything, isn't he? Yeah, really. Um, Gerard Butler, which I thought would be good if he hadn't already done, like, the whole Olympus Has Fallen franchise. Yes. Where basically he's kind of Bond-esque anyway, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, true. Um, and then he had... Uh, Gerard Butler's quite rugged looking as well, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah. And I think I, mean, I think people are looking for a lot more of the suave. Yeah. I think, that's, I think mm. that's the pushback against Tom Hardy is going. Like, we thought Craig was kind of like, I'm a man, I'm a bloke, yeah. aren't I? And then you go, Tom Hardy's like, hold my beer. And I'm just going to be like, this is going to be some of the rut. This is almost like if Jason Bourne with like a mean edge becomes Bond. Yeah. Uh, uh, Clive Owen. I like the idea of Clive Owen, a slower talker, more methodical kind of, like a cerebral Bond. Clive Owen is one of my favorites. But um, is he, how was he now? I have no idea. He must be in his He's got to be up there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe not. What's he doing right now? He's doing those stinking betting commercials, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. Well, let's bet on what's going to happen at this table. I yeah. think maybe like five, ten years ago, he'd have been brilliant yeah. for it. And then Chris Pine, which, I mean, Chris mm. Pine was the guy who played um, Captain Kirk in the new Bond yeah, movies. He was a... Like, he's American. Mm, I'm not sure about I'm that. I'm not sure about that. No. In the new Bond movies? Yeah, like, as Bond. Mm. Like, Bond doesn't have to be. He just has to play English. He doesn't have to be English. But you've got to have a pretty good... Well, not English accent, but a good British accent. British accent of some sort, yeah. yeah. Especially if you go with the idea of it as a code name. Yeah. So you just have to be from somewhere in the British Isles, yeah. theoretically. Um, I mean, isn't Brosnan, is he Irish? Irish, yeah. yeah. And so and then we had one random guy who told me that, because uh, I had my idea, let's have uh, Idris Elba do one. And one guy said, well, that's tokenism. And I went, what? That's like, you know, I don't yeah. want a 60-year-old Bond is all I'm saying. No, yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. And then he went, and then, so the guy kind of came with a little bit of like pseudo racism sort of there. And then he went, besides, Ian Fleming said he always wanted to be a white guy. I'm like, oh, okay, here's the thing. It's oh, not me. Okay. It's you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are very much the one. <laughs> one last thing we have a Halloween episode we coming do. up. We and do. after the break, we're all. So, what's going to happen is we're going to have the audience pick from four choices what film we're going to do for our Halloween episode. It's going to be good. So, we've all got to bring one. Now, it doesn't have to be a scary movie or a horror movie. But well, I've, to... I've brought two to the table only because. You have if... to have one. Yes, I know. Yes. But somebody might pick my. Oh, that's clever to have a backup. Mm-hmm. Very clever. You know? So. so we're all going to put one up there, and then we'll see who the audience picks or what the audience picks. Mm, interesting. We'll see that, yeah. yes. And it just has to sort of fit the criteria. So it doesn't have to be scary. It just has to be like Halloween-y. Halloween-y. Without being Halloween-y. Mm-hmm. That was a movie. I don't want to do that one. <laughs> I don't want to do that one. So let's talk a little bit about today's film, which is Seven. And why are we doing Seven? It's the 25-year anniversary of Seven this week. Oh, I thought you can say this is our seventh episode. No, no, no. <laughs> Liam, we've, we've been over this. This is our 30th episode. I know. And so, 1995 neo-noir film directed by David Fincher. And yes. I was not planning on this. No. But this is the third David Fincher film we've done in 30 it's, episodes. It's crazy. And I wasn't trying to. No. Far from it. He's very good. He's done three. Do you know how many directors we've done twice? Mm, oh, um... I'm going to guess it's one. None. Oh. Wow. <laughs> we haven't done two of anybody else, but we've done three of Fincher. That, wow. Which is really, really interesting that yeah. we've kind of, you know, to be fair, we've almost exhausted, I think, all the ones that are potentially uh, yeah, available. Yeah, yeah. There's a few. There's a few. Gone Girl's still out there. Yep. But, um, so who's seen Seven? I've seen Seven long time ago. Same. You've seen Seven. I haven't seen it in, in really at least 15 years. I don't really remember the plot too much, but obviously I remember the ending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the title kind of helps you remember the plot somewhat. Oh well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, if, 
If you had to make me just go through chronologically, what no, happened, I, I couldn't I, tell I, you. I said to have no real. I, I know the mean? ending, which is the thing, which, <laughs> yeah. is, which speaks to the. And we're going to talk a lot about the ending. We when, shall when we get done. Yeah. Ellie, you have not seen Seven. I haven't. No. And, but but you are, as it seems, a big David Fincher fan. But yeah. Yeah. So that should be all right. Mm. Um, so uh, when David Fincher was announced for um, the film. Uh, at the time, he had not read a script for over a year and a half because he had directed um, Alien 3. And they kept f- he got fired three times making Alien 3 because the studio and he kept wow. butting heads. So he said, and I quote, I would rather die of colon cancer than make another movie. Okay. That's a, wow. big, that's a big statement. That is a big statement. Uh, he eventually agreed to do it because he was drawn to the script, which he found to be a Connect the Dots movie that delivers about inhumanity. It's psychologically violent. It implies so much, not about why you did it, but how you did it. Mm. And that seemed more interesting than just doing like another police procedural detective movie. Written by a guy called Andrew Kevin Walker. Uh, it was, the screenplay was influenced by the time that Walker spent in New York um, working at Tower Records. Oh, okay. Back when you used to pay for something we called music. I, in still, I still do. At retro do Records and Toys. For all your retro needs. <laughs> Um, and so you, you, here we go, Liam. You too could be the next great screenwriter <laughs> by following uh, Kevin Andrew Kevin Walker's um, example. Uh, he had a hard time, though, getting a studio to buy the right to his script because he was a complete unknown. He said, I didn't like my time in New York, but it's true if I hadn't lived there, I probably wouldn't have written, written seven. And while he was there, he put together a list of agents that represented writers that work in the crime and thriller genres, and he called each one until one of them finally said yes. Wow. <laughs> so sometimes you got to go out there and knock down some doors. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you There's do. a lesson there. And as a thank you based on this script... When um, David Fincher would make Fight Club, he named the detectives in Fight Club Andrew, Kevin, and Walker. That is brilliant. as a thank you. And needless to say, Andrew Kevin, I love that little and, statement. Andrew Kevin Walker did some um, did some rewrites as well in Fight Club. So it's cool. kind of a bit of a cool cinematography. Now, usually in the first in the first two films we've done, it's with a guy named Jeff Krenowith, who sorry Jeff Cronenwith. Apologies there. Yeah. Who was the cinematographer? This time it's by a guy named Darius Kanji. And what he wanted to do, and I want to bring this up before because I want to look for it as it happens. Uh, he adopted a simple approach to the camera work, which was influenced by the TV show. And I'm hoping you have this TV show over here. Cops. Yeah. You know, bad boys. What bad you going to do when they come for you? Yeah. <laughs> like, throw them against the car. Like, this was like police brutality. Yeah, it was. Like, before... It before, became a thing. <laughs> before it became a thing. And it's yeah. like, it's all the same. I, like, the, the thing was, you always used to see them tackle some poor guy. You would, and then yeah. say, like, stop resisting. Stop <laughs> resisting. Like, the guy's not resisting. No. There's like five of you on him. That was so big in the early 90s. That was, because it, it, like it was the original reality show. Yeah. So that yeah. was the idea. We want to have that gritty, real feeling. And we're going to do it with, with cool. like, this cops sort of style. And so uh, David Fincher had told the crew he wanted to make a black and white film in color. Oh, I get it. So yeah. I want it to be technically color, but yeah, have it appeal yeah, yeah. at black and white. And so he used Darius Kanji, who we talked about, who is known for his perfume ads. So if you think about what they do yeah. with like the aesthetic yeah, of a yeah, perfume yeah. ad, you're like, what is this? Yeah. It's kind of what he was going for. Hmm. And then just a few tidbits before we officially launch into the film. Uh, it was called Seven, as we know. It's got that th- stupid thing where it's like the seven in the middle. Yeah. S-E, number seven, yeah. E-N. I quite like that, really. I, I hate, hate it. that. I've called it seven S E V E N on all of our materials because I found a movie poster that's S E V E N. So I'm like, there, <laughs> oh, claiming this. Okay. But it's 127 minutes long. Yeah. And when it was shipped out to cinemas in 35 millimeter prints, it was made up of seven reels. 
And there's a lot of number play in this film, if you watch carefully. Released on September 22nd, 1995 by New Line Cinema, Seven was the seventh highest grossing film of the year. Wow. (laughs) Grossing over 327 million worldwide. We can't fix that. No, No. they probably won't aim those ones. No, (laughs) it's just a really happy circumstance. It's the third slowest film to make $100 million. So though it made a lot of money, it did it slowly. It was a slow burn. I quite like it slow burn. The slowest ones, the ones that beat this are Shakespeare in Love, yeah. which would star Gwyneth Paltrow, who also appears yes. in Seven, yeah. and Unforgiven, which stars Morgan Freeman, who <laughs> also appears in Seven. Unforgiven is brilliant. I've never seen Unforgiven. We've got, we've got that, to do that. Did that one Best Picture? Uh, I don't or, know. Or, or my favorite I, that with Tombstone. I, I don't know. I know that... Um, uh, Eastwood won the best director, didn't he? Did he for that? Yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure he did. So this was regarded as the first A-list production for New Line Cinema because up until this point they'd just done kind of like B, not, 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 like, t- not like, like crappy movies, but like it was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Secret of the U's and all this sort of stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? Like not, not legit movie movies. No, no, no. And this was the first time with actual like real A-list stars. And they re-released it in uh, L.A. and in New York in December of 95 in an attempt to generate Academy Award nominations for Freeman Pitt and David Fincher, which was ultimately unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it is one of those cult classics, and I think it's timeless. I don't think I look at that and think 1990s. I think when we watch Well, this, when I watch it again, I'll, I'll, I'll see, because I, I don't really remember too much. I think it's going to be very... It's not going to be like Fight Club. We looked at Fight Club and kind of yeah. went, feels like 99. Yeah. In many ways, yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. like 99. Yeah, I'm curious about... Now, this is one of my. This is my sweet spot. I love ninety four to ninety six. Yeah. This is my sweet spot of film. It's ninety five. Brad Pitt's having a huge ninety five. Huge. Um, Morgan Freeman's having a huge ninety four to ninety five. Because I think Shawshank's ninety four. I want to say. Yeah, I think. And it then is. he's got this in ninety five. Yeah. Um, and then there's other. But actors. Shawshank was a slow burner, wasn't it? It was. It was very. It was, it was more of a DVD dog. Yeah, yeah. But his profile is is, is increasing. Like yeah. really, Shawshank starts Morgan Freeman's ascension, and there's some other actors who will show up, which we'll talk about after the break. Mm. And so it's really one of those things. So I'm very curious how we feel about it. On the first the thing side. I remember seeing um, Morgan Freeman in was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, that's true too. Yes, 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 in yes. 91? Uh, 91 or 92 is one of those two years. Yeah. I think, 91? Yeah. You yeah. know it's true. <laughs> Everything I do, do it for Morgan Freeman. Do it for Morgan Freeman. <laughs> There's no love like Morgan Freeman's love. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead. We will go ahead and catch that. Ellie, you've been warned just that it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit gruesome. Yeah, that's, I have that's been. about it. I don't. I think. I'll, well, you think I'm going to be okay with I think it? Be okay. So. I think you'll be okay. I think. Crossed. I think Georgia has made the right call by not. So Georgia will be joining us, but she won't be doing a full review. She's yeah. she's had a synopsis and she's watched the last scene, but she's based on that she won't be given a ranking or anything at the end of it because no. she hasn't seen the whole film. But Georgia, I think by her own admission, she went. I don't think I can handle this when she started to read a little bit, and I was like, Yeah, you're probably right on this. But I think Ellie will be okay because you guys get kind of thrown or triggered, one might say, by different things. Yeah. So I'm fine with the gory stuff. Yes. And Georgia gets more. So Georgia's not okay with the shock gore type things, and I'm yes. not okay with the more psychological. You like that dark impact thriller thing, Do you though, like- don't you? If you can to handle extent, Gone Girl, I think yeah. if you can handle yeah. Gone Girl, I think you're fine here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love yeah. Gone Girl. So with that in mind, let's go ahead. Let's see if you love this. So we will do this. I'm gonna get some food on and we will uh, catch you on the flippity flap. The flippity flip flop. And we are back. That is a heavy <laughs> heavy. <laughs> it kind of happens and it just goes, Ooh. Mm, yeah. 
Uh, apparently, when they did one of the test screenings, I, I was even planning on this. I, I didn't put it in my notes in the end. I just kind of went, yeah, 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 whatever. When they first filmed it, um, as when they first screened it to a test audience, they got a hold of uh, well, Brad Pitt and Fincher sitting in the back row. And the audience just kind of gets up and without saying a word to each other, they just kind of leave. And Pitt's like, what's going on? I thought we made a good movie. And it's just, it, it's, it's a heaviness. Yeah, it is. We're supposed to it do, get, up, get up and go, yeah. Like I guess he's expecting like the conversation, but I think it's one of those things where you just kind of walk out. Because I think for better or for worse, we're all Morgan Freeman in this film. Do you know what I think it is? What's that? I think it's the fact that we're all put ourselves in his shoes. What would we do? Would we shoot him? That's the question. Are we putting ourselves in Brad Pitt's shoes or in Morgan Freeman's shoes? Because... I mean, Brad Pitt's shoes. I Brad Pitt's shoes? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, none of us are married to, 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 to the character of Tracy. No. So as a result... No, but you link what you would feel towards someone else. It's so weird. I didn't. See, I did. Oh, wow, okay, okay. And that's why I saw The Torment. Ellie, thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Liam on this. Oh, okay, maybe just me. Because <laughs> I think I'm aware that I'm watching it. I think I'm, I think I'm uniquely aware. So I, I, I identify more with Morgan Freeman's character, the idea that, uh, you know... I'm watching all this together, and I might care about that character, and I mm. have grown to care about the Mills character, but the ending, I'm just like, I'm not... <sighs> the whole time he's getting wound up in the car, and we'll, we'll come back, we'll talk about it in great detail, but the whole time that Mills is getting wound up in the car, I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm kind of like Freeman, just like, bring yeah, it down, yeah. settle it down, don't, don't engage emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. But see, again, being an emotional person like myself... I'm engaged with Brad Pitt's character because I'm thinking I'd be the same. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, in hindsight, be going, oh, yeah, no, calm down, you know, and this, that, and the other, and be uh, logical about it. But I am. Well, this feels like <laughs> a good first chance to, to sort of plug the socials. Let us know, okay, who did you identify more with? Are you like Liam and Ellie? Are you identifying with Mills, Brad Pitt? Or are you like me? Are you too old for this shit? And are you going to be... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not this movie. It's not this <laughs> I just saw you know, uh, a couple of... I'm kind of stealing your joke you made earlier, Liam. But you kind of made the joke about the fact that it's like... What, what's this? You got like a black old cop who's this close to retirement. Yeah. And a renegade white young partner who does... <laughs> and at times you had that like very police scorey kind of like... At moments they played yeah, the music yeah. and it was like... Okay, are you, are you taking the mic? And I think they are. I really yeah. do think they are. Um, and so we start off the film, and we open up with a crime scene. The crime scene is he, um, here is Somerset, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, and he gets the stuff of the day. He's very meticulous. He gets to the crime scene. There's a dead body, and the dead body just happens to belong to, in a great little cameo, Andrew Kevin Walker, who was the writer of the film. Oh, it was cool. the first dead body, and I'm like, nice. That is nice. That's quite cool. Yeah. And so we found out he called it a crime of passion. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's gonna, that's not going to come full circle. Certainly it's not. And then did the kids see it? Uh, he's referring to a child, I guess, at the scene. It was someone's husband or wife who had died. Yeah. Cheating spouse or something. And they're like, oh, that's your problem, Somerset. We'll be glad to get rid of you. You care too much. And then here comes the kid, like, partner. Like, the kid he's going to be saddled with. And the danger of what happens if the kid sees it. Mm. And I'm kind of like... I'm going to be looking a lot for symbolism throughout. And you might be going, man, this is a stretch. I don't, I don't think it is. I think everything in this is so meticulously planned. It, I, I think so, looking back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Somerset is Morgan Freeman. Uh, the part was originally written with a different actor in mind, as they usually are. Yeah. But written with William Hurt in mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's where the character's name is William. Oh, nice. William Somerset, named yeah. after William Hurt. 
Um, the I war, could see the him war in doctor that. is what I know him as. Yeah, I could see him in that. Um, was 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 it the Elephant Man as well? Uh, is that William Hurt? No, it's John Hurt. Oh, it's John Hurt. I'm getting them mixed yeah, up. Yeah, yes, yeah. you are. You are right yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and during pre-production, uh, Al Pacino was considered for the role, wow. but he decided to do a film called City Hall instead, which mm. was poor. Yeah, what was wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. uh, also, I mean, if, uh, there's some alternate universes I want to see because also uh, we had a film. Uh, this could have been Robert Duvall, who we saw in Days of Thunder. I love Duvall. I do love Duvall. It'd be a different take. It'd be a different dynamic. Because he's, sure. he's kind of like a preacher in his delivery. And je- that might yeah, have been yeah. an interesting counterbalance putting him against it. Mm. And then Gene Hackman was heavily considered. And Gene Hackman turned it down because he doesn't like doing night shoots. Yeah, well, he virtually retired soon after that, I should imagine. He's been retired for quite a while now, yeah, which yeah. is kind of surprising because actors don't usually do that. Mm. But Hackman and Connery are two that I can think of yeah. who just said, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And then we meet Mills, and Mills shows up, and it's Brad Pitt. And there are two actors who um, turned down this role as well who are significant. Okay. And they couldn't be more different. Okay, you're going to say Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say Tom you're Cruise. You're not going to say Tom no, Cruise. No, no, no. Okay. That would be interesting. That would. No. Now, the first one was Denzel Washington. Wow. Which I'm like, could have done this a little bit. And you got a little bit the other side of it on kind of like in a dark way with training day years later, mm. maybe the old yeah, cop. Yeah. yeah. But that could have been like, as like the young idealistic guy, that could have been quite the film. And he said he regretted not taking this role. Well, I think? wouldn't have liked to have seen him um, um, opposite Morgan Freeman though. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Two, two great actors. But, yeah. But I don't think that worked. You need opposites. Yeah. You know? Yeah, in a weird way, the the not that it has to be done this way, but the ethnicities of the two actors even provided like a different, another yeah. another level of difference between them, old and young, emotional and stoic. Just it, it was just another yeah, representative yeah, yeah. of how different these two guys they're, are. They're, yeah, they're poles apart. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the other one, <laughs> I want to see this movie. Go on. If I win the lottery ever, like one of those ridiculous <laughs> like Powerball ninety nine million or I don't know whatever. We're hiring and we're, we're doing the movie. We're, yeah. we're doing like a deep fake with this. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. No way. Yeah. Oh my god. Hey, uh, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't lose your head, man. <laughs> Yo, John Doe, you did yeah, it. You did it. <laughs> Wish you hadn't have done it. <laughs> um, and so this is the movie that Brad Pitt turns down Apollo 13 to do. Because we talked about Apollo yeah. 13 and he turned down for seven. And this, is, of course, now is seven. So we've gone full circle. I'm going to say right choice. For him, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, he, he, was, was that the Kevin Bacon role he was, was going for? We, we think. Yeah. We did yeah. get confirmation. But it's, it's, he can't be the family guy. He's got, no, he's yeah, got yeah. to be the Kevin Bacon role. Yeah. And he would have done fine with it, I think. And it's a fun Apollo thirteen would have been a fun movie, and he but would have been great. But this is this out is, of the parts to play in Apollo thirteen. It's not exactly the best one, is it? So I think it's the, Gary Sinise, Tom Hanks, my favorite. Maybe Ed Harris. Yeah, maybe it's fourth best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's better than the Family Man, who just gets kind of sick. Yeah, yeah. It's not really a good part, but no. that was all right. Uh, but he made seven million dollars for this. <laughs> Not, Sorry, not I shouldn't bad. laugh, but seven million yeah. seven. And Brad Pitt's oh seven, that's right. Oh. <laughs> and Brad Pitt said that one of the reasons why he wanted to make this film was he wanted to uh, escape the cheese that was Legends of the Fall. Oh, okay. See, I really like Legends of the Fall. Yeah, me too. It's long. It is cheesy. I, I, I'll definitely give you that. And apparently, um, Legend of the Fall is a movie, and I'd be really interested to take a deeper look at this one. Apparently, it was a movie that also that there was a different ending that was supposed to be planned. Oh, okay. And studio execs got a hold of it and sort of took the grit out of it and gave us this like sappy thing oh, instead. Yeah, yeah. And it feels if you think of, if you've seen it and you think about it, it's just kind of 
narrated and just kind of like some really sh- shaky like camera footage and it's like yeah this can, this is totally filmed after the fact and you can't make seven lighthearted can you well you can't make well, <laughs> you I mean, can't Legends of the Fall wasn't lighthearted that didn't either but it was just no. the idea that it made it a sappier ending. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, it rained a lot in this film. It did. It did. Uh, the filmmakers decided it should be raining for two reasons. Actually, I found a third reason, but here's the first two. First, it added a sense of dread. Number two, mm. they never had to worry about bad weather. <laughs> because the reason is less about thematic issues and just more about easy continuity. That's another thing. Did you notice how Morgan Freeman always wore a hat in the rain? Yes. And yet Brad Pitt didn't. didn't yeah. no. And that's another level of difference, isn't it? Because yeah, he yeah, was from yeah. a generation when men wore hats. Yeah. And Pitt doesn't. And um, this was shot in like 50, 51 days, something like that. Sure. Because, sure. because Brad Pitt had wow. to rush off. So apparently it rained on the first day that Brad Pitt filmed. So they kept the rain going because they were rushing to do all of Brad Pitt's scenes first because he had to go make 12 Monkeys. Oh, two heavy movies. He's had this kind of a, like everybody involved in this is in the middle of big runs. Wow. Like because you had um, Freeman who would do. Shawshank. Shawshank, and then this. Yeah. And then you have Pitt, who would do this, and then 12 Monkeys, and then we'll talk about the third when he shows up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the setting. So the crowded urban streets were filled with noisy desonins and oppressive rain because the purpose of this was to show a city that was dirty and show it as being violent and polluted and depressing. I got that. That's very dark. Visually and stylistically. They didn't go into one building that like a person lived in. That wasn't crap. And then like yeah. derelict or falling down, or... ruined. Yeah. I appreciate the idea of having the rain throughout and it making it seem more bleak, but I really struggled to un- to hear what the dialogue was in the first scene that they were outside. Didn't um, really have to. I, fe- I felt like the rain was just really, really loud and I, I wasn't. I'll tell you one line I heard. <laughs> was we were working together, maybe we don't go like kicking each other in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which again, it's just the young punk kid. So something like yeah. Freeman would never say that. No. So it's just that kind of a thing. Yeah, it was it was difficult for character establishment and watching the film for the first time to try and understand what it was all about when I couldn't hear the dialogue. Well, they wanted everything to be authentic and raw. Yeah, and that was. Yeah, it was. It so was. It was. Uh, where do we think the movie set? I want to say somewhere like Philadelphia. Oh. I have literally no idea. This is like one of the all-time like great, like people mess this up all the time, like Mandela effect things with this film. Everybody thinks it's set in New York, and if yeah. not New York, they tend to guess some other eastern city like Philadelphia. Uh, it's never actually said, and it was shot actually in Hollywood, California. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, wow. so the only sense you get of that is when they drive out into the desert yeah. at the end. I wish I'd have got but, that, yeah. But it does look like New York. Yeah, it, absolutely. And at one point, they're at this pizza place, which is like Joe's New York yeah, pizza. Yeah. So they are leading you that way. But all the badges just say like, Metropolitan Police. And when they leave, it just says City Limits, population <laughs> 8 million. You're like, oh, City Limits, nice. Yeah. It was said we wanted to create a setting that reflects the moral decay of the people in it. Everything is falling apart and nothing is working properly. No, it's not. And then that was helped furthermore by the color. Of the mm. of like the film itself, I don't mean the film is in the movie. I mean the film is in the physical like object that the, the images get recorded onto. One thing I did think when I was watching it, when you know, they went into a building, someone's home, it's always dark. Yeah, they never had light lights. Oh, so dark! And if you're lucky, you have like a flashlight that just yeah. shot like isolated moments. Yeah, yeah. It's like most of the places they went into, the electricity wasn't working, so they just had to rely on torches well, th- and things. Or I think it shows the idea that everybody on. in the city is like morally dark. Mm. Mm. And you just had moments, but really it was just everybody was just in their own sense of filth, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. And so... Um, no more so than the first guy. Yes. 
And so uh, the dark look for the film was achieved through a process called bleach bypass, where the silver in the film stock was not completely removed, which in turn deepened the dark, shadowy images and increased its overall tonal quality. And we saw it throughout, but even in the sunny scenes, like the scene where they're going out in the desert, and I stopped when we were watching it and went, look at this shot, look at the color. Mm. It was amazing, and it's because they just like actually like altered, like they specially made film for this. It was definitely show one. Today, it would just be, yeah, I put it into Sony After Effects. And yeah. I did this, this, and this, and look at what I did. But back then, it was actually something. Uh, all the building numbers in the opening scene start with the number seven. <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah. I did, yeah. And then we go back to Somerset's house, and there's a metronome, and you did not like the metronome, Liam. No. That tick, tick. tick. No. I think it suggests order, and I think it suggests who he is. I, this uh, is Somerset uh, kind of going, everything is orderly in its place, like he lays out his stuff at the start of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Seven days. You do this, then you do this, then you do this. And you play by the rules, and you you don't get your emotions in the way. You just stay a steady beat. That's what he is. He is the metronome. I saw that as a different thing. Okay, what do you see it as? I saw that as a, a way of filtering out noise and something to concentrate on mm. because his mind's always active and thinking. Interesting. And the noise outside the building. And it is interesting in that Fincher said he wanted to position uh, Somerset as the intellectual equal of John Doe. Yeah. And I, I, I totally see that. I see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we, can we talk about the title sequence? Ugh. Uh, originally, it was supposed to show Freeman's character buying a house in a remote country area and then traveling back to the city to show you this is what, his, this is what he's fighting for. Yeah. This is his boat if you want to go to Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I'm going to retire in a week. I'm going to live on a boat. Yeah. I'm going to retire in a week, and I'm going to go live in a country house. But they ran out of time to fill the sequence. So they instead approached Kyle Cooper to suggest a replacement, and they suggested, well, we have all these notebooks we've made for John Doe. What if we did more with that? And so they made like a, sl- a slideshow, probably just like a PowerPoint slideshow. Yeah. It's <laughs> like a remix of Nine Inch Nails song Closer. And then they said, well, let's go deeper beyond that. Can we go even more sequential even this? So the idea that this is a guy who gets up, he makes his books, he plans his murders, and he drinks his tea, and that's kind of what he does. But can we do this and make it 3D? So someone's like really, really, really evil. And so um, it, they did this. It took two days to film it and five weeks to edit it, which is nuts because that as we nuts. saw when we saw Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, these these over-the-top, really in-depth title sequences are very much a Fincher calling card. Mm. So, One of the books that is um, used in that title sequence, because I saw it, um, whilst we're watching a few different other bits and pieces, is a book on pregnancy. Hello, Georgia. Oh, wow. Oh, Georgia's back. Yay! Hey, Georgia's <laughs> here. When did you get here? Uh, right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I've just not been saying anything because I actually didn't watch the film all the way through. Yes, we did sort of prep everybody yeah. for that. Okay. Yeah. So that's all right. So, yes, we probably should have introduced you, but, man, the heaviness of the film. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, all of a sudden someone sneaks in. You're like, well, how, <laughs> how did this happen? Stealth mode. Um, shot the three of you. They only needed four now. <laughs> and so David Fincher liked the approach and wanted to get Mark Romanek, the guy who directed the actual closer music video, or closer, closer, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, Bye Bye Nine Inch Nails. And the guy, Cooper, um, whatever his name was, I said, um, said, no, 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 I've done all this work. <laughs> I'm going to direct it. No, yeah, all right. Cool. Yeah, go, go on then. And so they did a remix of Closer uh, created by the band Coil. So it was a cover of the Nine Inch Nails, which is yeah. actually kind of ironic if you consider that he would work with Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails yeah. on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo wow. and on um, The Social Network. Yeah. And he would win like, like an Oscar for that pairing. So it seems like cool that they got the song right. 
but kind of strange that he go wouldn't get the the proper go, and yet the relationship still fifteen years later is 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 let's keep working together. Yeah, it just goes show really, doesn't it? It does. And so um, then we get to Monday, and we meet Tracy Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who I thought was good in this. Yeah, if she wasn't in bed, sleeping or waking, yeah, I I think she did the best of what she had. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a massive part, was it? But no. what she had was decent. Originally, you want to know who this was? <laughs> I, I, this film, if, if things had gone a different way, and Michelle I found, Pfeiffer, and this isn't like some like IMDb <laughs> nonsense. It's actual like legitimate stuff. Um, originally offered to Christina Applegate. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I call me crazy. You yeah. know, I know she's done some 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 good stuff. I don't see her as having the acting chops to do this. You need somebody in that role like Gwyneth Paltrow at the time who had that star status look about her. Yeah. I feel. Because uh, that was such a non-part until the end. Yeah. Brad Pitt said that Gwyneth Paltrow's character is the only sunshine we have in the film. And I don't think he's wrong. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Fincher was impressed with Gwyneth Paltrow's work in a film called Flesh and Bone. She was his first choice for the role of Brad Pitt's wife, which would be fitting because at the time they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, I was going to say they were together at some point. Yeah, so she wouldn't take, she wouldn't do, do the movie. And so he, um, Fincher said to Pitt, set up a meeting, would you? Uh-huh. And he did. And then that's that. Oh, cool. And so um, I thought that was a nice little touch. I forget that Paltrow and Pitt were eyes rather than I went, right. Yeah, I do remember those. Because I think I associate her now, obviously, more with Chris Martin Chris than Martin, I do with Brad yeah. Pitt. But for a time, Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow were the Hollywood it couple. Well, Brad Pitt's been with everybody, hasn't he? Back, back before you had, like, Brangelina. And, oh, right, yeah. And back before you had, like... Uh, Juliette Lewis. Was it Juliette Lewis? Was with Jennifer Aniston yeah. as well. Oh, Jennifer Aniston, yeah. yeah. But long before you had these sort of, you know... Um, whatever Ben Affleck and Jim Benifer or whatever it was. And yeah, these, yeah, these yeah, couples yeah. like the original power couple, but I remember from the nineties of these two. Yeah. Yeah. And so Brad Pitt chooses a tie cause he's going to go to work cause it's his first day on the big yada, yada, yada. And, um, he actually, Brad Pitt, the, the person went out and bought all his own ties for the film. Oh, good. Cause right. he thought that Mills would have terrible fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so he purposely, and these are some ugly ties. I would, these ties would not be in my cupboard. There's no there's, way. There's a nice little scene with him and her when just before she's about to let him go and he leans over her and he, she wipes the sleeper out of his eye. Yes, that's true. Now I'd like to think that was ad-libbed because they was, they were seeing each other and so close with each other that it was just uh, normal. You have to imagine I'm, the amount of freedom that would probably come from that, being able to experiment and like you wouldn't have to get past those stages of of, of awkwardness and in the in the intimacy. You'd just yeah. kind of be there, ready to go beat for beat. And yeah. you could theoretically yeah. talk about what you wanted to do with, yeah. with the characters all the time. No, that's cool. So yeah. I like that a little bit. And so um then we get a phone call, and we are exactly seven minutes into the film when this phone call comes to tell us the first murder has mm. happened. That's excellent. Yeah. And so um, and, but the scene with the two of them, I really did think this was a little bit of joy in what was going to be a very, very hard movie. Because I really, and I think you had to have this scene, like there's a few scenes they have, and you have to have them for the ending to mean something. Exactly. And then we have murder one, and we have the first corpse, and we're warned it's going to be rough. And I'm like, you have no idea. So gluttony was the first. And for the gluttony scene, seven crates of cockroaches were released on the set. Ooh, I did see it. poured a onto the actor Bob Mack. Oh, Something had to be put in his ears and nose to stop the cockroaches from crawling in. Oh. 
but it didn't stop them from crawling in his underwear. Gross. And if you're wondering, well, there's all these lights. How do you make sure the bugs stay on set? Apparently, Vaseline is the answer. Oh, really? Apparently, if you do Vaseline. very well. Well, no, it, it it attracts them. Not that it gets them sticky and stops them. It, it stops. It keeps them coming back to the set. So something in Vaseline that they find appealing. Mm. That's that. That's the that's the research I found. That's wow. really weird. It is really weird. It is weird. Uh, and it's so glad I don't have that over here. It's a very what Vaseline? <laughs> no, he needs cockroaches. cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and then there's a bucket underneath the table, and they're like, "Look in the bucket." And well, it's, and it's like vomit. Now, I'm trying to figure is he hazing them? Because then when he reacts badly, and to be fair, I mean, Brad Pitt in the early parts of this film is like every bad rookie cop in every movie you've ever had. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. I do. I think it's supposed to show his naivete. It's the so fact, it's just a cliche. It's the fact that he stuck his head under the table. When you just, just why? pull the bucket out yeah. slightly and, uh. and look at it from a distance, not stick your head right in it. Oh, but, yeah. but but then he's like, oh, I'll let you go ahead and do it. I'm not, you know, oh, I'm not, do- oh, you you want to do it? You, you be my guest. And just like all these like cliched kind of statements. I like how you went into Bill and Ted then. Yeah. <laughs> how, does, how does Gluttony die? Sorry, I've seen, I know he's the rest of He's forced to eat until he no, that's dies. Greed, isn't it? No, glut, no glut, gluttony means oh, food. Gluttony. food yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So have, what's, which one's the greed one? Gro- uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll, that. We'll oh, okay, to sorry. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so his stomach basically, it's, not that he, like, it's one that ruptures. His, stom- his stomach kind of ruptures. It doesn't yeah. explode. It kind of like just causes him to, to like leak internally. And it takes a while for him to realize, yes, it is indeed a murder. But uh, we go outside, and uh, there's just a conversation that I've just caught called, don't jerk me off. <laughs> and uh, we find out they're both rated as detectives. Your badge is the same as my badge. And this is like, you've had one kind of like relationship. And rap- and this is kind of Brad Pitt's character, right? Like, I'm going to get emotionally set off by by everything. And so rather than go one thing, go, hey, let's have a conversation. She was like, you know, let's not, you know, you don't jerk me off. I don't jerk you off. We're the same. And it's like, okay, it's a little bit of hubris here to assume that the guy who's been doing this yeah. beat in this city for 30 years, 40 years, yeah. might not have a thing or two he could teach you. Exactly. And maybe you should actually be listening. And each city is different. Now, to be fair, like um, Somerset's not exactly like, I want to teach you. He's like, None. I'm gone in a week. Very much like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Strange combat. <laughs> but it keeps coming back to it. Like, I, I, you know, I'm too old for this. I don't have time to be doing this. I'm mm. retiring in a week. Give him to someone else. Mm. And so uh, David Fincher says in the DVT commentary, because we go to the autopsy scene, that he felt bad for the actor who had to wear all the hot, heavy, gluttony prosthetics. So to compensate and say thank you, he made sure that he was well endowed. (laughs) 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 He's laying there. He's like, I'm going to make sure there's something there. Nice. I think it was the gluttony one I was reading, but apparently the actor who played one of them, I believe it was gluttony, didn't know what the role was when they took it on because obviously it's a small role. A few of them didn't, yeah. Yeah, and then he demanded, I think it was this guy, demanded he then got paid triple what the Actors Guild base rate was because that's what they were originally going to pay. Oh, I would, yeah, oh, absolutely. That should have been um, the guy who was the greed. Well, not all of them should be because they, they, and then, they all went through the ringer for and this. And then got um, given a pair of underwear as well for free for it because he didn't want to use the ones he was wearing during absolutely. the scene. <laughs> And so, but then we go, he goes, okay, and he died. And then all of a sudden, Brad Pitt goes, ladies and gentlemen, we have ourselves a homicide. And I'm like, this place would be CSI. (laughs) That did make me laugh. It's like something like David Caruso would say in CSI Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for the who in that shot of like the, uh, the, the, I don't know, it's a hoverboard or whatever. That thing is that goes across the Everglades. Uh, And then we enter the captain. And this was R. Lee 
Ermey. And Arlie Ermey originally auditioned for the part of John Doe, didn't get it. And when he, so instead, then they offered him the part of the captain, and he went ahead and took it. And we get a lot of like story here now. Six days, and you'll be gone. Yeah. And this is where Somerset decides this shouldn't, I don't want them part of this case, and the kid definitely shouldn't be on this case. No, too. And so Pitt's all getting all mad, like, fine, say it to my face. He goes, fine, I don't think you should be on this case. <laughs> <laughs> and again, no emotion. No. Whereas Pitt's all like, I'm ready to fight you. Yeah. And this, they've done it. and this is what the captain tells the audience, just because you've got this big brain, and we go, thank you for that, 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 that'll help speed things along. Yeah, it but does. we knew that anyway. We did, but it, it, it's, it's explicitly linked now, even though mm-hmm. everybody around him considers to be a genius. And then we find out it's Tuesday, and Brad Pitt's supposed to have been like moved off the case to somewhere else. Yeah. But then he's like back on it. I didn't quite get I did, that. I didn't quite get that either. I thought... Was that linked... Was. Sir? I've seen, obviously, I've only seen little bits and pieces, yeah. so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, isn't the second murder found by the case that Brad Pitt was put on and then they're connected? Oh, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. think that's what it is. I didn't, I didn't get there, but yeah, that would, that would, that would be a good way to story like line yourself back into it. Whether mm-hmm. that's just what I've picked up from the little bits no, I've seen or probably it's right. true, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so we find out a defense attorney, Eli Gould, has been found dead. And um, at this point, we, we, we cut to, um, to Somerset, who's working on this old typewriter. Like, he's, he very much has the last of the old dogs here, right? And the captain's going, I don't think you can leave all this. And he's like, oh, trust me, I can leave all this. There's nothing wrong. I'm... As his name's being scratched off the door. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and they find some sort of plastic in the food, and the, and, and the, 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 the light bulb goes on in Somerset's brain. He goes back to Gluttony's apartment. And finds that I guess these plastic shavings were like off the floor. Yeah. And was that after leaving the fridge? The fridge? Scraped, I think. Yeah. He yeah. finds he finds it, and then based on that, he realizes that it must have been made by the fridge moving. I guess yeah. is the logic. And then behind that, we see gluttony. Now, to be fair, this is a very loose end by which to establish this. To go, it I'm going to feed. So if he doesn't feed them, I guess the argument is you want you want everybody to know. But, yeah. So you draw the attention in this manner to get him there. But what happens if he hadn't have done? Uh, it's 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 an awfully I mean? big what if, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we go back to the obesity murder scene, like I said, uh, and then he starts going ahead and goes, it's the seven deadly sins. <laughs> and he starts, you know, telling Mills, and thankfully Mills is an idiot, and that helps because now if the audience don't know, we can teach the audience by teaching Mills. Yeah. Here are seven deadly sins and the captain. And he lists them all and goes through them all, and he gets to the end. So, okay, let's just see if we can do it. Uh, we've got... Gluttony, greed, lust, envy, wrath, sloth, sloth, pride, uh, lust. Yeah, and then finally, the last one goes, and envy. And when he says, and envy, he stares yeah. at Pitt. Now, Pitt's not going to be the one who's going to have envy, but Pitt will be the one who someone will be envious of. Mm. And that'll end that. So you go, is that just the way it's delivered, or is there something in that? I'm going to give him the credit of a doubt and say there might be something in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Clever. There's enough details in the rest of this film that you kind of go, yeah, yeah no, think, that's probably I, I what think, that I think, was. I think you have to give him credit for yeah. all these things, yeah. Yeah. At this point, though, a great line. The phone rings, and the captain goes, this isn't even my desk. <laughs> he hangs up the phone. <laughs> that's a great little line, isn't it? <laughs> The fact that he even answered it. So he goes. So then Somerset goes out. He goes into a taxi, and the guy says, "Where are you headed?" And he goes, "Far away from here." And I'm like, "Don't be wrong. It sounds really cool in a movie. It's mm. not helping the cabbie any." No. <laughs> okay, great. You still need to tell me somewhere. <laughs> just, yeah, just give me a destination. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, the answer wasn't. You know, the answer was, "I'm going to the library." That's where I'm going. It's not that far away from where he was. Was it not? 
Or if it's a library in the same city. Yeah, I guess so. And so an interesting way of how to get some um, how to get some, some non-diegetic sound in a diegetic way is he goes to the library and he starts t- like he starts smack talking the, the security guards mm. who are up uh, playing poker on, on the on the first floor, second floor, depending on which which pond, which side of the Atlantic you're on. And they go, how's this for some culture? And the guy just happens to have a boombox with Bach air ready to be yeah. played out. And so we have this montage of him like studying to Bach air. And we cross-cut this, and Mills is studying the specifics of the case. He's got like black and white photos of the crime scene. He's got these specific details in the police report. Mm. Whereas we've got Somerset's like looking up like classics, the Canterbury Tales, the Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno. And then we have like the words being highlighted, and we have like photocopying happening. And I'm going to argue this is a direct counterpoint to the opening montage. Yeah. Where at the start we have it in all yeah. it's like, you know, a razor blade edge scratched glory. Here we have the opposite of it. We have the the non insane version of the same thing. I didn't think of that at all. Yeah. And if you want to go with the argument, this is all for me. I didn't find this anywhere. Oh, so okay. If you want to go with the argument though, that these two are equals. Mm. fine, then here's this guy's introduction and realize he's just as up to the task as you are for being nuts. He's just as up to getting you. Yeah, because even through the film, Morgan Freeman always keeps saying that he's not nuts. Yeah. He, didn't he? Didn't he? He, he kept he, saying, like, uh, but by he, we mean John Doe. Yeah, John yes. Doe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, then he puts everything together in a package and leaves it on Mill's desk and kind of goes, here's some ideas where you might want to start. Now, I hear you. But Mills isn't exactly the kind of guy who I'm like, yeah, he's going he's gonna to find out the, the specifics of Dante's Inferno without help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on Wednesday, Pitt is acting, or at least he's trying to, as he's trying to read these books and is not getting anywhere. <laughs> and then he, someone comes up with a package and he goes, great work, detective, or great, great work, officer, great work. And he unwraps it or whatever, and it's a bunch of cliff notes. Now, do you know what cliff notes are? No. They're like spark notes, notes, aren't they? They're like study guides. Yeah. They're like, take something really, really... So what you would do, and what teachers used to be... I think I brought this up before on the podcast. What teachers would be afraid to do is they would would set you some homework. You have to read this by this date and don't buy the cliff notes. Yeah, because they're just like the synopsis of everything with the details. Synopsis, but they won't have the quotes. And and you're assuming that the analysis is is correct. And it's not always that way. But he's like, all right, I got this. And it's like, you're not going to take down John Doe reading cliff notes <laughs> it's not going to happen and so then we see him moving into the new office and i'm sorry mills is one of these guys who's so obsessed with title mm. and not about what the job means because he walks in and he's supposed to have this office and of course somerset's it's, it's somerset's office and somerset's like oh sorry i'll i'll move and he's like kind of like damn straight you will is kind of how it comes <laughs> off yeah. isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. And so, but then the phone rings. He's like, "Oh, I want to answer the phone." <laughs> and Freeman just goes, "It's part of the part of the job. You get the office, you get the phone." Yeah. And it's his wife, and it's very emasculating. It's his wife. It's Tracy, and she wants to speak to Somerset, and invites him to dinner. <laughs> and he hangs up. Says, "Yeah, all right, okay, I'll, thank you." And he just goes back to work. <laughs> he doesn't tell Pitt. Which it's is pit, great. It's a pit us to ask him. And this becomes a bit of a theme where mm. Tracy and Somerset are going to have conversations and not include and not divulge. Yeah. Brad Pitt's a passenger in this, in this relationship. Because like she says later on, he's the only person she has. By, by him, you mean Somerset? Mm, yeah, Somerset. Yeah, yeah, in this so. new not city. Not at this point, though. 
No, 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 no. I'm just saying later on. That's yeah. the reason this is the start of it. Can you imagine you start a new job and then all of a sudden the phone rings and it's, it's your wife and you're like, huh? my wife wants to speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when you're something going es- on, especially when you've just walked in there being yeah. like, this is my office yeah. now. <laughs> my wife, my wants, <laughs> what you're coming to dinner at my house. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> I thought this was really sweet. And so back into the old apartment and Mills's apartment is five a, and the fifth deadly sin is wrath. Uh, and then we get some exposition because uh, Brad Pitt goes and plays with the dogs. Mm-hmm. Does some of his best acting in the film. And <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow and Morgan Freeman have a lovely little scene, actually. I really like the scene of the two of them here in the kitchen while dinner's getting ready. And we find out they're high school sweethearts. And um, then she sees the gun that um, Somerset's got. She goes, oh, I'll never get used to the sight of guns. And they live, and then we start dinner, and they live by the subway, and then the subway, the, 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 the sub, what's the sub, what's it called? The subway train, yeah, train. It, goes, yeah. it goes by, yeah. The subway, the, the, <laughs> this, this, this giant sandwich goes by the window, <laughs> and the and the you whole get a foot long, yeah, and, and the whole apartment shakes. <laughs> and the interesting thing about this is that uh, they actually rigged up the whole set so it would shake. And so whenever there are any visitors to the set, they'd walk them by the, the apartment set and they'd let them go on set and they'd trigger them. That's brilliant. It's just great. Can you imagine? Oh, I'd have so much fun with that. Oh, I would too. <laughs> and this breaks the seal and kind of is what the first thing that lets them bond. By them, I mean Somerset and Mills. Uh, yeah. Because Somerset just starts laughing at him. And you're in this shaky yeah. <laughs> I really liked this bit. I thought it gave a nice lightheartedness to it. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, I like. That. Which which part about it specifically? Um, just like the way that the way that they're laughing and the interaction between Gwyneth Paltrow and Morgan Freeman, and like how um, Brad Pitt is sort of like, yeah, ha ha ha. All right, stop now, stop guys. Stop but then guys. he catches it a little bit too, and, and sort of joins. Yeah, yeah. In. He's he kind of starts laughing as at the start, and then stops, and maybe starts again. But I just I just thought it was a warm scene. Um. And so, in the hands of a lesser director, what would happen here is they'd go, ha, 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 oh, yeah, ha, 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 and we'd fade out and, like, like reverse zoom and fade out. Yeah. You know? But they laugh. And then when you think it's over, Freeman comes, like, fresh with a new bout of laughter. And then another one. He's been so serious to this point. This is a big moment. And then, it, like, okay, fine. Oh, you think it's funny? You think it's funny? Oh, okay, stop that. And then, finally, he joins in. And it's, it's, it's nice. The walls have come down. And they start working late. And we get the pound of flesh reference. From Merchant of Venice. And Paloma Faith's song. Is, is that right? Every demon wants his pound of flesh. Oh, really? Is that Paloma Faith? I, I, I appreciate the fact you think I might know that, but I really don't. <laughs> uh, shake it off. Who's that by? Taylor shake Swift? Off, shake it off. Yeah. Oh, that shake one. Off, That's off. Florence and the Machine. Florence and the Machine. Yes. It's in that song. Much different from Paloma Faith. Mm. They're quite similar. And it's hard to dance with the devil on your back. <laughs> oh, shake my wolf. I'm, Whoa. I'm not good with pop culture references, she says on a film on a podcast. Film. <laughs> well, at least it's like 25 years old here, so you're all right. And then we've got, and it's more of a differences, though. Of course, you know, um, Brad Pitt says, I'm going to get a beer. I get you a beer? And he goes, wine. wine. Wine, please. I love how he's so unsophisticated. He puts the wine in a glass, but not like a wine glass. Oh, did he really? I didn't notice Just that. Just like a, like a, not a pint glass, but similar <laughs> glass. Like a tumbler. Just like a glass tumbler. A, long, a long, longish glass. Not a wine glass at the very but, least. But, but not a wine glass. Yeah. He kind of looks at it and goes, 
Oh, oh this is, I miss. I totally <laughs> missed. Probably I'm taking notes. I probably totally missed that. Yeah. And this is where we get um, the idea of what's going on with. Um, they start looking at because this is the only crime scene we don't actually go to. Mm. We just get the pictures of it, and the actor who played Greed, the, the lawyer. Uh, he was covered in over two gallons of fake blood, and the Ooh. blood was so thick and sticky that his knees became stuck to the floor. Oh, gross. Nice. That is my worst nightmare. And this I is... hate fake blood. Dude, me too. Okay. Yeah. Me too. I hate real blood. I think that's more, more my rather, worst nightmare. I would rather deal with real blood than fake blood. Yeah, two gallons means I've let out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you're not really dealing with it after that. <laughs> no, true, 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 true. Although, like, if I had to, like, move two bags of, like, Blood from like a blood doning session. I'd rather move those than okay. fake blood. That's that's where I'm going with and this. And we get the metaphor here of yelling fire versus yelling rape, and my soul just died a bit inside. Mm. Which is one of the things in rape prevention classes. You don't yell rape. Have you not heard that before? I think I have, but I think I've. I think I, I, I'm on I'm on that side of the, of the divide, and yeah. it's kind I've of. I've known that since I was really young. And, yeah, and, 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 the, and the sad part yeah. is that you guys have to know that. Yeah. yeah. And as Morgan Freeman says, you know, it's the sad thing is that the first thing they teach women in rape prevention classes is that because yeah. everybody runs to fire, everybody run, everybody ignores help. Mm. And it's stuck <sighs> as well. Yeah, yep. you yell fire and you hold a key between your fingers. Yep, absolutely. Jeez. Wow. Well, thanks for joining the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it fits the no, tone of the film. It's it fine. The tone of the film. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah, and we get the idea that Gould's wife had like these glasses painted around her and marker or something like that. A picture of her, not her. It wasn't marker. That was blood. Blood. Mm. <laughs> You're probably right there. <laughs> wow. Almost, How naive. Almost blood. He's like, <laughs> I got a little crayon. Hang on, just let me whack out get, my sharpie. I brought a sharpie with me because, because it says in the script that I'm prepared for all things. <laughs> what, are you a boy scout as well oh, as a murderer? Right out loud. Yeah. <laughs> he might meet a fan who wants an autograph, and sharpies are great for that. Yeah, um, yeah. And so Gould's uh, wife has the glasses in blood. <laughs> and uh, there's something she's supposed to see but hasn't seen yet. And then we instantly cut to a picture of Gwyneth Paltrow sleeping. Mm. Something she's supposed to see but hasn't seen yet. Mm. Yeah. It all makes sense now, doesn't it? It does. And then they discover the painting is upside down in the apartment because uh, they're interviewing the, the, the widow of the, mm. of the lawyer who got rich defending. That's why he's greed. He purposely uh, defended murderers and rapists and got them off and made lots of money as a result. I, found... I, th- Sorry, go on. I thought that they were going to talk about the other picture that bro, where Brad Pitt sat down in the chair behind him. Yeah. Because that looked like blood splatter over the wall it to did. me. It did. Uh, I thought that was the picture they were going to go to, but they went to the other picture. Maybe it's just confused. Maybe they had the lab technicians working <laughs> on it for 60 minutes before they realized, oh, this is just like some sort of abstract thing they did. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Bit of a red herring. Mm. Um, I found his name really interesting in this, Eli Gold, because okay. there's there's a um, a TV legal drama called The Good Wife, where the one of the main lawyers is called Eli Gold, and uh, when I checked this, there's also a um, character in Suits called Eli Gold. There is one in Suits called Eli. So Gold, yes. <laughs> it's quite interesting how it's. I'm, I'm guessing, well, they were both afterwards, so maybe it's due to this that they've maybe, maybe named them yeah. that. But and they say call the print lab. And as they call the print lab, um, this young man um, starts going over the fingerprints they find on the wall. And that young man is Alfonso Freeman, Morgan Freeman's son. Oh, nice. That's a nice little one. Do you know what? I I saw his name in the credits and I wondered. Yeah, that's who he he was. Oh, okay. So I was trying to, I was was like, I need to find this guy when he shows up. And thankfully he had like three lines of dialogue. So it was dead easy. Oh, that was cool. Does he have the same voice? 
No. I'm a lab technician. <laughs> I sweep no, for like, fingerprints. Like, I am God. I, I, was about to say, I, I haven't seen him like cast as God in anything since. So, you don't know. That was the year Andy Dufresne came to short. Yeah, Andy Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's lined to do all of his dad's, like when they, when they reboot all of his yeah. dad's movies, he's lined up. Um, and then Thursday, because they're, they're sent, because they're trying to match the thumbprints with something they have on file. And we get told, uh, go find somewhere else to sort of bicker. It's going to take a while. And so they go and they sleep on this old sort of couch. And there's a great reveal shot in the morning where Thursday is like per- perfectly between them. We get this two shot, which suggests they're bonding. But did you notice at the beginning of the, the night? Yeah. Brad Pitt moved the ashtray, so yeah. he slept on the Away. other side of the arm. And, as the and then the by the morning, yeah. he was together with him. It's a nice touch. It was a nice touch. And uh, the captain comes by and says, wake up, Glimmer Twins. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who the Glimmer Twins are? Is it Marlon Wayans and no, Wayans? No, 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 no. Much more retro records and toys, actually. The oh, Glimmer go Twins. on. It's a slang term nickname for Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Oh, okay. Is that sh- I should know And that. apparently Fincher directed some Rolling Stone stuff back in the day, some music videos. So oh, okay. It's kind of a I reference that, to that. But I think I only knew that because of drag. Okay. I think it's been referenced there. So now you've said that, I'm going, yeah, I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> now, if you'd said the Toxic Twins, I'd have known who you meant. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, he said Glimmer Twins in the movie. While we're uh, on the topic of retro records and toys, yep. uh, apparently the premise for the entire film came from a depressed rec- record worker. We did talk about that. Oh, did you? Tower Records, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I had said that Liam now has to go ahead and write the next great screenplay of our time. Oh, of course. But yeah. he's not depressed at his job, so. No, but uh, there is a screenplay in the in the making at the moment. Is there really? There is, yeah. Oh, very exciting. Can I be in it? <laughs> um, of course. Thanks. And then I think they found their guy. And so we get some background on the perp as they go over. And the SWAT team's with them. And one of the members of the SWAT team is Dr. Perry Cox from Scrubs. Yes. Who, Liam, you recognize I instantly. did, yeah. Um, I forget what his name is now off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't um, his name off the top of my head. Oh, I want to say, it's like, it's like, it's not John C. Riley because I know who John C. Riley is, but it's something like that. <sighs> Easiest way to do it is if someone wants to look up the IMDb for Scrubs, he will definitely, Fact John C. McGinley. <laughs> I want to say it's John oh, C. McGinley. It is, it is. I saw that name in the cast. Okay, John C. McGinley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's great in all things. Like he's really, much like John C. Riley. He can do drama. He can do anger. All he sorts. can do comedy. He's just versatile. And my and your eyes drawn. I don't know if it's just me. My eyes drawn to him whenever he's on the screen. Yeah. Um, and he makes a good badass, doesn't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> and as they're going over to the apartment, we, we uh, our, our two heroes sort of share their 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 stories about guns. And Somerset's never shot his gun. He has pulled it three times, but he's never had to shoot it. And Mills pulled it once, fired it once, uh, because this guy shot on him and his partner, and or him and another cop anyway. And the cop friend died, and Mills is kicking himself because he can't remember his name, mm. which is interesting because we're going to talk about memory and what does it mean to be remembered and da 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 da. And again, very lethal weapon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then we get to apartment three hundred six because it's our third sin. So oh, apartment three hundred six. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's this house that's all clean except for air fresheners everywhere. Oh, I saw this coming. Oh. I saw this coming the first time I watched it. Well, okay. Air fresheners. You're yeah. just thinking dead bodies, aren't you? Rotting body. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where it's we not meet. My first thought when I think of air fresheners. This normally. is where we meet. Well, <laughs> it, we want to take away the smell. Well, within the context of this film, I the think film, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many. That's to discard Have you walked into smell, a lot of it? living rooms and seen like two dozen air fresheners hanging from the ceiling? It was a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of saw this coming. It was just like, oh. And so as they walk in, and it's a sloth. And in case we missed that, Morgan Freeman goes, sloth. <laughs> and I'm like, you're supposed to be the clever one, man. Like, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to go. He's like, he's like going, I get sloth. <laughs> 
And so we um, can read. Make up for the sloth victim took over fourteen hours to do. Oh, if you saw sorry the sloth, that guy. Yeah. The uh, cast. I read somewhere that the cast didn't know that it was a human. They thought oh, it was a dummy. You're taking all my stuff. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. So David, I did some research because I've not go. watched it. So David Fincher <laughs> said they wanted someone who's incredibly skinny, around 90 pounds, to play Victor. And this guy, Michael Reed McKay, showed up. He weighed 96 pounds. Fincher gave him the part and jokingly, it says here, said, "Why don't you lose a little bit more weight?" Mm. Now, a what the hell are you saying that for? Exactly. Yeah. Not okay. Like it. Again, I had to play this thing. But if it was, if you're looking for a really, really skinny woman, you wouldn't have said. By the way, could lose no. a little bit more. You wouldn't even joke, no. would you? No. So maybe it's something about in 25 years. Maybe our sensibilities have been more more refined. You would hope. Mm-hmm. But then, much to his much to Fincher's surprise, McKay did lose six more pounds when filming started. I'm like, that could have gone really wrong. Yeah, really, really wrong. And so I found this disturbing. This scene, and I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but. The SWAT team didn't know <laughs> <laughs> that the um, that the victim was going to like sit up and like cough and all that stuff. So their reaction is one hundred percent real. That's good. At least if it's the first take. If that was the first take, then you know I'm not being funny. Uh, or I'd, if they might be the same. Or if they men in black zapped them after each take. In fact, I, so I believe st- they didn't even know it was a real human. I think well, yeah. I, from what I read, they thought it was a dummy. A dummy because yeah. of all of the makeup and stuff that was think, on it. I think that's part of the thing. Let's see if it's so real that it'll fool. I'll be yeah. honest, yeah. if I was in that room and I was one of the SWAT team, I'd have gone. I'd, I'd, I'd been out that yeah. window. There'd have, been, there'd have been a Liam-sized hole in that wall. <laughs> like, like, yes. Like, like, like one of those cartoons that run through the wall and there's like an imprint left behind. Oh, I, I did enjoy so whilst I was watching that as well. And I, I won't lie, I did watch the CinemaSins video of this because that's like a safe way to watch a film if you're a bit scared of them. Um, and there's all of the air freshness hanging up on the ceiling and then there's just one hung on the lamp by the bed as well. <laughs> and that really made me giggle. So after this is over, um, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, or their characters more accurately, are talking in the stairwell, and then a member of the press shows up. Mm. And this is our first glimpse of John Doe. And if you if you know it's John Doe, you can clearly see it's Kevin Spacey. Oh, okay. I didn't you can hear it in the voice, and you can see it. But if you're not looking for it, it's like all those great movies where you're not looking, you don't, yeah, you, you was, don't want to see it. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you want to believe you're just a press guy. And as this happens... Uh, the line we get from um, Morgan Freeman is that you have to divorce yourself from your emotions. Mm. And just before he... Uh, and if you think about what ends up happening, when he has the fight with the um, guy from the press corps, he yells at him. <laughs> this is it before. Before he fights the guy, he's told, divorce your emotions. Then a guy takes a picture, yells at him, swears at him, <laughs> and gives him his name. <laughs> <laughs> and throws his camera down and the stairs. And throws his camera down the stairs. So, like, you know, you just gave this guy... You know, granted, I'm sure John Doe already had the plan already, yeah. but I'm just sitting there going... I've got your picture, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we just get told by um, by Somerset, oh, no, 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 it's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions. And it just seems to be, this is what they'll do the whole film. There's not really an arc, per se, for the characters. No, but they're setting you up for later. There's an arc for Freeman. I'm not sure if there's an, much of an arc for... For, for Pitt's character. No, because no. Pitt is just reacting, isn't he? Yeah. So we get to the doctor's office, and the doctor tells us about Sloth, that he's experienced as much pain and suffering as anyone he's ever seen, and he still has hell to look forward to. Mm. So, And he can't speak even if he wanted to because he's eaten his own tongue <sighs> a long time. Like, that's the thing. This film isn't gory. 
No, but that's putting I was expecting in moments when like they had all these cadavers, like they were like cut something open and like like Ugh. bugs are to him crawling oh, out or, some, or something really really insane, right? But none of that ever happened. It was all just in- inferential. Mm. Everything in this film is inferential. That's why I couldn't watch it. Okay. I've got like if it was Such shown to me, yeah. yeah, that's fine. But the fact that it's all you then have to kind of go and think about it and then no. See, I'm smiling because I think that's kind of more or less what I went with. I think as the rationale. Or is that backwards to what I thought? I don't know. No, I no. don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, you were here for it. <laughs> you, you thought that the shock value would be too much. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought the shock value would be too much for you. I'm usually all right with that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, the the guy sitting up would have got me. Yeah. Um, But mm, it's just the fact that you me. don't see stuff and you're left to think about it. That's why things like suspenseful stories, thrillers, and like ghost stories and those sort of things that kind of leave you thinking. I just... I can't do it because I would then be thinking about it for the next eight years. Oh. <laughs> seven <laughs> so, years. Seven <laughs> years, sorry, yes. And speaking of seven years and thinking about things at home, Somerset's at home and he's thinking about the day. <laughs> and uh, Tracy phones Somerset. And just imagine a world where you need people's work numbers and phone oh, no, home numbers right. again. Like, you're not gonna, welcome yeah. to the 90s. <laughs> and he's listening to jazz music in his home as well. And he's a bit more refined. And he, it's Tracy and she wants to talk and she has no one else. And you're like, I really feel sorry for Tracy in this moment. Yeah, I do. So I really believe she has no one else. Yeah, I And do. it takes us to Friday, and we have a diner talk with Gwyneth Paltrow. And we talked about Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke in Training Day. Mm. They shot a scene in the same diner, in the same booth. Wow. This booth has, I thought that looked familiar. This booth has been used in Training Day, Seven, 500 Days of Summer, and Catch Me If You Can, amongst other films. Oh, cool. So this is officially the best diner ever. Oh, we should go there. It is the, we, should. <laughs> we should. We should do a little like, promo. The list, we, we, should, we should do a little promo in the booth. We should do that. We should do that. I bet that. you have to book that booth ages Pro- in advance. Probably. It's at the Quality Cafe in LA, which, you know, does what it says in the tin, much like us. Best <laughs> um, so uh, we find out that Tracy's going to have a baby and that she hates the city. And it's a really interesting scene in which he reveals that he once uh, had, a, had a partner mm-hmm. and they became pregnant. And Liam, you picked up on this. He said that he wore her down. Yeah. And what what, what did you infer that to mean? Um, that there was no life for them two together with mm-hmm. him being the job that he's in. Yeah, and wore her down. I think. I think, and, I think the first and step a, is and bring the child into the world. Yeah. So I think the first step is to go. She had an abortion. Yeah. And um, the idea about wore her down suggests intent. Yeah. Now, maybe he's punishing himself. Maybe he didn't do it intentionally. Maybe, maybe he did. Uh, you, we, we mentioned that he said it was the first time ever he'd felt scared going to work. That's right. The, next, the very next day. Once he found out she was pregnant, the next day he went into work, he was scared. For the first time. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing about what does it mean to have to be close to someone. It means that you can be hurt by them and they can be hurt by you, not mm-hmm. even just by what you do, but what can happen to you. And it's an interesting, if you look at where the, where the movie's going to go to in the end, about yeah. the effect of hurting those who you love or, the, or vice versa. Powerful so stuff. he's kind of saying it's best to be on your own, isn't it? But he's got regret. Yeah, of course. And there's a real, it's it's a real strong kinship. It feels between. Mm. I really like the dynamic between Morgan Freeman I, and Gwyneth Paltrow. It. I thought they were they, great they together. They had the best dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and he he says to her basically, if you have an abortion, don't ever tell him you were pregnant. No, don't ever. But if you do have the kid. Spoil it every chance you get. Oh, that got me. And so the question I have is, is he, through Tracy and through David Mills, is he 
having a chance to be a father in a different way. Because he has very paternal conversations with both of them. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Maybe that was the regret he had not having the child. Maybe. Maybe. You know? Um, was the job worth it in the end? Yeah. I thought he had a really nice line that was um, something like, I, I know that I made the right decision, but every day I look back and wish that I'd made a different one. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was really powerful. That was very powerful. And uh, speaking of powerful, we then go to the recap board, which is this giant chalkboard with just the seven deadly sins numbered. Yeah. Crossed out the ones where like, we have three sins down, four to go. And um, and this is where, again, Brad Pitt's just being typical cop. I'm sick of all this waiting. Mm. Well, that's part of the job. Yeah. He's a lunatic. Why can't we be out on the street? Don't call him a lunatic. He's probably dancing in grandma's panties, rubbing himself with peanut butter. Yeah. And so, he says that quite a lot through the movie, doesn't he? What? He's a lunatic. He's crazy. And Morgan Freeman he shoots him down. He also says like a lot of like homophobic language in this movie yeah. as well. Like it's the nineties, and we've talked about uh, some yeah, previous yeah, yeah, episodes. Yeah. And he's this typical quarterback of the football team kind of yeah. alpha male jock. And so they go to the library and they I have they used a dot matrix printer, which is the oldest piece of tech besides <laughs> the typewriter. But at least a typewriter is like classy. There's nothing classy but that dot matrix no. ribbon of that. And then they go and they get pizza. And he goes, Can you sit on the other side of the booth? <laughs> Why? I don't want people to think we're dating. I know it's such a that felt silly. so I said that that out of everything that aged in this film, that might have been the one where I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't see the issue here, man. No, man, no. Uh, and then there was a Sons of Anarchy flashback for me and Liam because Mark Boone Jr., who plays Bobby Elvis yeah, on uh, that, was the greasy FBI agent. That was and so that was good. his actual character name, greasy FBI agent. <laughs> and so we find out if you can monitor library records, the FBI does this, and that can provide you with some sort I of I believe there's truth in that, you know. Well, it's interesting you say that. Because we're told this is kind of a legally sketchy area. Mm. It was until 2001 when the Patriot Act gave the government the ability to monitor library records. Because they monitor phone calls over here, don't they? Certain key words. Well, they've monitored. I mean, theory is they've monitored phone calls in the States for as long as you can remember. Yeah. Because of the Cold Scare and all that mm, sort of mm, stuff. Mm. The Red Scare, the Cold War, yeah. And so they finally base because Bobby comes back. From from Sam Crow and gives them the <laughs> <laughs> gives them the I goods, and they go to this door, and it's supposed to be John Doe's apartment, and we see this guy in a hat in the distance, and just really smoothly, we see him reaching us. We don't know he's going for his keys, maybe. No, it's a gun, and he takes a shot. John Doe's an appallingly bad shot in this film. He is now. It's intentional, I guess, because he doesn't want to kill him. He just wants to get away. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have a really long chase scene with sort of a dragnet kind of police chase typical score in the background but i still liked it it was like it was conventional but it was like and during this scene um brad pitt's arm went through a car windshield and it required surgery so the cast he wears for the rest of the film is real is real wow (laughs) oh my god as coincidence would have it the original script called for mills to get injured during the sequence in some way anyway so they just changed it to his arm (laughs) wow uh, and is Doe even trying to kill him, I asked? And then he has him with the gun to his head. and mm. So basically, Pitt slips up, and John Doe has him with the gun to his head. And we still don't know who John Doe is. He's just a figure in a hat and a, and a, and a trench coat. 
and then takes the muzzle off of the head, and I don't know if he kicks him in the face or something, and down he goes. And it's quite funny how through the film he says he's crazy, he's nuts, he'll kill anybody, and yet he doesn't kill him. See, I read something again, I did some more research, mm-hmm. that um, suggests that he's going to kill him at that point, and then the other guy shouts his name, and John Doe realises who it is, so then doesn't kill him because he needs him alive for later. He has the picture, though. Well, apparently it's not been developed yet. That How one's in, develop, in, in development still. I don't know. That's yeah, just, that was just the, it like it was a theory. theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so then we go back outside John Doe's door, and uh, Mills wants to break in, and Summer says, no, we don't have a warrant. And again, emotions get the better of Mills. He yeah. kicks the door down. Liam, you would so totally stupid. kick the door down. I totally would have yeah. done when I... <laughs> and then he finds a way to sort of make this dirty. And before we judge Mills too much, and we do, and the film wants us to, let's not forget that Somerset is dirty as well when he pays off the FBI agent. Now, his is more cerebral. Let's see what books he's reading. But remember what he said earlier with the um, John Doe when he was the paparazzi? Yeah. He said, you've just pissed him off. He said, they pay good money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. They yeah, pay yeah. good money to police officers. Yeah, to get to get information. Yeah, 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 yeah. That comes back later, doesn't it? It, it does come back later. Mm. And then the results of the search, uh, they get a homeless person to justify breaking in, and they find all sorts... Basically, they find the opening scene. All the books, a lot of drugs, yeah. a hand, religious iconography, basically the whole sequence. All of John Doe's books were real books written for the film. They took two months to complete and cost $15,000. I wonder how many people they had writing them. <laughs> Yeah, uh, have people on payroll. Imagine, like, yeah, you know, what's yeah. your job? Sitting there and write. What? Doesn't matter. Just ramblings. <laughs> Make them sound somewhat crazy. Could you imagine you watching ahead. the film and going, that's mine? <laughs> imagine going, wait, wait, wait. We, we wrote for two months and you only did like that 30 seconds yeah. of reading? Everything else? I could have just done like a cookie recipe in there? That's right, crazy. And so they search. They don't find any fingerprints. There's a lot of books. And there's a phone call from John Doe. He says he admires them. Mm. And as a result of his admiration, he'll be adjusting his schedule. And this is when I said to you, that sounds like Kevin Spacey. You did say it looks like, it like <laughs> Kevin Spacey. And I just kind of looked at you like, Liam, shut up. <laughs> um, and they f- there's a picture of a but blonde. I didn't remember. Yeah. There's so, a picture yeah. of a blonde. Blonde catches, um, must have caught John Doe's eyes. And they find the blonde. And it's this underground sex club, I guess. Mm. And with a, basically, it's playing the song from the opening of the film on yeah. a loop, it feels like. And this is where we have lust in, on the wall. Mm-hmm. And they find this guy and he says, get this thing off me. Get this thing off me. We don't know what this thing is. Again, it's that enigma code we talk about. The minute they say, get this thing off me, we're like, what's the thing? I thought bombs start with some reason. And then I really, thing is great. And then I really wish I didn't oh. know what the thing yeah. was. Um, so uh, the, the actor who would play this role, Leland Orser, uh, in order – so he purposely – before a scene would start, he would breathe in out so rapidly that his body would be oversaturated with oxygen, so he was able to convince his body to hyperventilate. He did so well in this. Well, I'll tell you what. If it looks like he'd been up for a couple of days... Oh, yeah. It's because he'd been up for a couple of days and drank coffee the entire time. So wow. he went 100% method That's to get so this. so dangerous. Especially for, like, what's, in essence, 90 seconds on the, on the screen. Yeah. But I'll tell you I'd what. I've seen him in something else. Effective. It's very effective. He was very good, but... And then we find out he basically was forced to wear this strap-on knife <sighs> and have intercourse with this prostitute, I guess, for lack yeah. of a better word. And he had to do that with a gun in his throat the whole time. And meanwhile, there's the guy who owns the club getting interrogated in the next room by Mills. And yeah. He's like, do you like what you do? And he goes, no, but that's life. Yeah. Like, that's a very nihilistic like yeah. view on the world. And they go out for post-work drinks, and I don't mean the guy who owns the sex club. I mean <laughs> our two police officers. And we talk about the state of the world. 
and um, Pitt asked Freeman while he's retiring and basically saying, I'm getting too old for this. Like, yeah. And Pitt's like, I don't agree with you. I believe the world's good. And I was like, okay, again, you've been, this is like the guy who starts your job and like on day four starts telling you like his wisdom on it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. just, just settle down and like, just, just be here for like six months. Yeah. And then you can start talking. But Learn until, some shit. until you've done that, you haven't even, you don't even know what you don't know yet. Yeah, you don't know experience. how little you do know because you've been there so little. Just get some experience and then go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have a conversation and, and learn from you. But at the very, very beginning, you know, it's uh, talk less, smile, not smile more, but talk less, listen more maybe. Yeah, yeah. he says that to him, doesn't he? Listen more. Does he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need to look, you need to listen. Yeah. yeah. And so Saturday, and we have this nice spy shot of above Grad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow and Betty. He goes, I love you so much. And she goes... I know. Yeah. And I don't think that was a selfish I know. It was no, sort no, of no, no. her feeling security. But I think we we find out in the diner as well that she's so unhappy living in the city. Yeah. So unhappy. Oh, it'd be as well. And right. she gets happy in this moment. This is, And then he goes away, and she's not happy. She's worried. She's concerned. She's alone. She, she's a teacher but can't get a job teaching because the conditions in the city are so poor mm. that she can't be part of that. And then we flip back to Somerset, and he's got the metronome and finally has enough of it and chucks it across the room. Maybe if you're arguing, keeping the stuff out of his head. Maybe he doesn't want to hear the passage of time anymore. Because right then, we get to Sunday, and um, we get a phone call from John Doe saying he's done it again. And we've got pride. And this is the most interesting and Saw-esque for me of all, all the killings. This woman who they've cut off her nose, and they've said, you got two choices. You can either yeah. phone someone for help and realize you will live, but you will live disfigured. Yeah. Or you can take the sleeping pills and you can die in a painless manner. And she chooses to die in a painless manner rather than look disfigured for the rest yeah. of her life. And I, that was the, that was really interesting. Out of all the deaths, I'm like, I don't know. For me, it was just like, okay, at least you're, you're, you can see how this is pride. This is pride because you're not being forced. No. Like, the fat guy was being forced to eat until yeah. he died. The lust was forced to to, to yeah, engage yeah. in that act until yeah. someone died. In this case, there was a choice. Yeah, she had a choice. Yeah. yeah. So, as weird as this sounds, I get this one. Mm. In, in 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 the movie logic. In the movie logic. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so. This is where Somerset decides he's staying until this is over, which is a great red herring because we're like, oh, yeah, the boys are going to do this. They're going to yeah. do this forever. We're going to have sequels. We're going to have eight and nine and ten. <laughs> it'll be like Fast, ten and, it'll be like fast and Furious. <laughs> and then as they're walking, if anybody else caught this, someone shouts to Mills, hey, your wife called. Get yourself an answering machine. Yes, I did get that. <sighs> yeah. And, and he kind just of- before and he gets the message and he kind of just puts it in his pocket yeah and it's just before we hear detective because yeah. we had that shot yes of the feet you do. coming you do. out yeah and you kind of said it was kind of like a kaiser so <laughs> i or did like didn't that. i yeah <laughs> and so he goes detective he goes detective <laughs> and they turn around and it's so i believe you've been looking for me and he's and got kaiser soze kaiser soze <laughs> with all of his fingerprints cut off yeah and gets down on the ground and again brad pitch just going into hero cop mode um, and Kevin Spacey was cast two days before filming began. Wow. Brad Pitt praised Kevin Spacey's performance, saying he's got more control on it than I do. And I think if you look at their two performances, mm. I mean, granted, the writing helps, but like I look at what Spacey did and went, I don't see Pitt being able to do that. 
No. He only gets low-key, kind of, when you get to, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he just can play it really kind of... But that's age and experience. That's age and experience. I mean, this is 25 yeah. years before that. I yeah. mean, what do you do there? And we've had conversations, and if you want to have our feelings on Kevin Spacey and the quagmire of it, sort of looking at how Kevin Spacey film is, we'd recommend you listen to our review of The Usual the Suspects. suspects. Um, I think we've said everything we have to say there. I yeah. think we're just saying that... Although there are several allegations, and we take them very, very, very seriously, we're still going to try and analyze the film to the best of our ability, and we're not going to discount the fact that he's in it. Yeah. So that's basically it. But if you want to hear a much more um, in-depth thoughts on that, please go ahead and listen to our usual suspects review. Plus, it's just a good review. Mm-hmm. Really quite enjoyed that episode. I did. Talk to you. Well, watch the film yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely watch the film first. So before filming began, Kevin Spacey asked David Fincher if he should shave his head for the role. And he told Fincher, if you do it, I'll do it. So Fincher went bald for the role, for, for, for directing. Oh, and okay. Spacey went bald for his performance. And the baldness just adds something to it. It's it did. It's something else that's just a little bit weird about yeah. him. It also makes him look smaller and weaker. Mm. Yeah. And he makes a deal. I've got two more bodies that I will give you, but I'll only give it to Somerset and Mills. And if you don't comply, I'll plead insanity. And they go, well, yeah, well, all this is admissible. We can tell them you blackmailed us. He's like, fine. And then you also have to tell them that you let two more bodies die. <laughs> and they kind of realize they're done. So there's this great bonding session where they start shaving their chests together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were wondering for a minute, is this because they're going to have mics or is this just like one last time and yeah. shave our chest? <laughs> that thing we do every day and haven't shown it yet. Uh, and they check for good audio, which I can fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. On that, and the, I want to know what kind of mics they're using because they you were know, good. We go to a lot of trouble to try and yeah. get them sound, sound sounding half what decent here. And there's never sounded muffled at all. Does never it? muffled. <laughs> at all. And there's no rain on Sunday. It's the one day they really haven't seen any rain all the way from the morning to now. Which ironically, it's like this fake sense of hope. Mm. It's been dreary all the rest of the days. Now when it's going to go to hell, we're going to make sure it's shiny, shiny and shiny. It's shiny. It's shiny. Okay, shiny. Sean Connery is <laughs> doing the rest of the review. Today it will be shiny. 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 So he goes, if you want people, this is John Doe. If you want people to listen, you can't just tap them on the shoulder anymore. You have to hit them with a sledgehammer. And he got all these lines. People will barely be able to comprehend, but they won't be able to deny and he says to Mills, I can't wait for you to see. It really will be something. Mm. And he has this whole speech about I'm doing God's work and the Lord works in mysterious ways. And Mills is getting riled up. And he goes, you're only alive because I let you. And that's yeah. what's got him that's got spitting mad yeah. at this point. Think of me every time you wake up. And he will because they get out of the car. Mm-hmm. They get out of the car. And uh, there, well, there's, there's a dead dog. <laughs> I didn't do that. And he goes, yeah. oh. That wasn't me. That wasn't me or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, so direct quote, direct quote, I didn't do that. And I have to admit, got, got a legit laugh out it of me. Did, yep. Yeah, me. And he goes, what time is it? And it's 7 o'clock. Mm. No, it's 7.01. 7.01, but it's supposed, at this it's supposed point, to be 7. At this point, I started a, I started a stopwatch. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll let you know why in a minute. Okay. And then Richard Arquette shows up. So this is the the, the driver is the brother of um, David Arquette. David Arquette wow. and Patricia Arquette, two much more famous actors in the and family. Alexis Arquette. Yes, three <laughs> much more famous actors in the family, or whatever. Is Alexis Arquette an actor? Yes. Yeah, is in um, uh, Wedding Singer. Oh, okay, very good. And so, um, as the van comes up from to do it. Um, Morgan Freeman's character gets his gun out and fires it in the air. Only time his character's fired his gun. Yeah. When he took his gun out, he would have his finger on the trigger, and the police experts would say, no, 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 you still don't do that. You pull the gun out, you have it outside of the trigger, and then you justify... Police, correct police procedure isn't right on the trigger. Yeah. So apparently that was the thing. And then the box is being opened by 
um, Somerset. Okay, so pause here. I got to the box being delivered. It is exactly six minutes after they ask what the time is. Okay. Mm, Which makes it seven past seven. Seven past seven, nice. And so, meanwhile, Doe is saying, I really admire you, Mr. Mills. In Mm. fact, I kind of envy your life. And Somerset now sees what's in the box, and he runs back and says, John Doe has the upper hand. And he runs... And this is where you get, I mean, it's one of the most quoted lines. It's a very dark joke now. But if you see something with a box, you might go, what's in the box? <laughs> and it's really sick of us to do this thing. But it's, it became kind of like, in the world before memes, this was like like like, a, uh, like, a, like an audible meme, we used to say. Deal or no deal. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we find out that Spacey broke into the house. He played husband, he envied your normal life, and he took the life, and I took a souvenir, the head of your wife and the mother of your unborn child. She Mm. begged for an unborn child. And this is where we found out that everybody in the circle knew except for Mills what was happening. And again, he's out of the loop. And he's trying to process this. And we get told, if you kill him, he will win. And I think it's telling the audience just as much as it's telling. We're like, here are the rules. He will win. If if, if, if Pitt kills him, then that's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And he wins. But think about it. How many times in a movie do you get to that point and they don't shoot them? Oh, I, I get that. Yeah. They, they don't, do they? And you can see that, credit to Brad Pitt here, because I believed every little He's thing. He's good here. He's good here. Very, very, very good. Very good. Um, seven minutes, and there's seven minutes to go when he says, if you kill him here, he will win. Seven minutes left. Wow. It includes, um, includes the um, credits, but still. Yeah. And so uh, Pitt kills him. He does. And shoots six bullets into him. Six. The first one floors him, and then he comes back with five bullets. Oh, okay. And that is the ending. We get this little thing where he's put in a cop car, put away. And we get this Ernest Hemingway quote about the world is, I don't know if anybody got the this. The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. And that's it. And so this was a massive, massive um, issue. And just before I say this, I want to say, in the scene, we see Mills go through all the stages of grief. He goes through denial, anger, bargaining, desperation, mm-hmm. and then finally acceptance when he kills him. Um. This part with the head in the box was part of an earlier draft that New Line had said, no, we're not doing this. There's no way we're doing this. And when they asked Fincher to do the film, they sent him the wrong copy of the script, the oh. copy with the de- with the head in the box. And so he said, I will do it, but only if I can do the head in the box. And they said, okay, you can do it. And then one of the producers was like, no, no, we're not doing the head in the box. Absolutely not. So they rewrote it to where John Doe kidnaps Tracy, with Mills and Somerset, she, like racing after him to save the life, like you know, typical cop movie yeah, 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 of, of yeah, the yeah. week. But this is what makes it stand out and what people remember. It. And so David Fincher and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman read the new ending. They all demanded the original be put back in. And Brad Pitt had put this in his, a clause in his script that said, "The movie ends the way I want it to end." Basically, because oh, nice. of what happened to him on Legends of the Fall, he yeah. said, "No, it stays with this original ending." Uh, so the ending is the way it's supposed to be. But Morgan Freeman remembers a version of it. Where um, and he was okay with this. He remembers a version of it where Somerset shoots John Doe instead of Mills, and in a sense, he shoots Mills. Not be- sorry, he shoots uh, John, John Doe, Doe not because he wants to, but because he's saving Mills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he doesn't believe there's good in the world anymore, but Mills does. That would make sense because he doesn't fire his gun, does he? No, that's an interesting. So that's yeah. Especially spend... when you said earlier, I've never shot my gun. Yeah. What if the first time you shoot him is to do this and throw yourself on a grenade? Yeah. So that would have been interesting. Well, but Brad Pitt argued, no, because this is the right thing to do. The right thing is to kill the man who kills your wife. Everybody will relate to that in the audience. Yeah. Kind of the conversation did, yeah. we started with. Yeah. So um, 
the final scenes of um, Mills being taken away and the aerial shots and Somerset's quote from Ernest Hemingway were filmed by Fincher after initial filming was complete as a way to placate the studio. Because originally it was supposed to be he was going to shoot John Doe black. Oh. That was your movie. And I'm thinking... Mm. That's how I'd like that. Better movie. Yeah, much better. Better yeah. movie. Oh. But if you, if, it was, if you had to do that to save the bit where Brad Pitt shoots him, yeah. fine, I can live with that. Okay. But it says Fincher and Morgan Freeman both were ambivalent. They didn't really care. Oh, they, okay. they didn't. Sorry, but they didn't care. They yeah, didn't yeah. like the, the the new finish. They would have preferred the, the original. Cut yeah, yeah, as well. yeah. Me too. And so, unfortunately, um, though, the director of cinematography, who I mentioned earlier, couldn't do. He was already moved on to a different project by this point. No. So, who was the cinematographer for that final couple of days? Well, a camera operator by the name of Joss Whedon. Yeah, that's what normally happens. He's not really a. He's, he's, he's more of a words guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, enter a camera operator by the name of Jeff Cronenweth, who, of course, would be his director of cinematography oh, yes. on the other films yeah, that we've yeah, studied yeah, yeah. This far, or, or we've reviewed so far. So some more alternate endings. Uh, there was going to be a switchblade. The switchblade that he has in his pocket, he was going to stab um, Mills in the arm to try and stop him from shooting. It was going to result in Mills shooting um, Somerset in the arm himself to take him out of the equation and then shoot um, John Doe. Oh, and, and, like then, that. and then in the hospital, there'd be a note saying, like, you were right, you were right about everything, and yeah, that's just convoluted. No. I wouldn't like that. And here's the stupidest. Oh, sorry, sorry, another one. A lookalike so that John Doe wins, so that, like, it looks like Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's not Gwyneth Paltrow. And Somerset gives his house to Tracy and her unborn child as, like, penance for what's happened. Mm. So you kill her without killing her, and yeah. you frame him without actually I, having a week. There was another one where they were going to put a, like a dog's head in the box. And I'm like, well, then why is he? Why are you going to kill someone because he's put a yeah. dog's head in the box? That doesn't make any sense. No. And then the craziest one, and the one that... It, let me have this crazy recasting and have let me have Stallone doing the part and all this stuff. <laughs> John Doe kidnaps Mills. Not, not, not Tracy, but Mills. Yeah. Somerset discovers that John Doe was raised by an abusive priest in a church orphanage. As Somerset arrives, Doe is cut across in Mills's chest and suspended above an altar and shoots him. Mills finally dies in Somerset's arms as the church is set on fire. Yeah. Doe and Somerset subsequently engage in a shootout with Somerset wounding Doe and letting him die in the flames. And the script ends with Mills's funeral. No. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> No. That is like how much cocaine was in the yeah. room on that day. Yeah. And they watched The Crow and like 14 yeah, films. That's right. Just, just, <laughs> just do it all. <laughs> I want to see that now. What has that got to do with Ruffin? Like it's such a cerebral yeah, movie. Yeah. And like so like slow paced. And then it's like just. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. And that's that. So, um, Especially when they've got the timing so specific for seven-minute things oh, and stuff so as well. Like, imagine trying to fit all of that into seven minutes. It's the so only thing I'd have changed in that ending was where he shot him and then black. I would have gone to black. Yeah. yeah. As, as someone who's kind of done that for an ending of a play. It's yeah, kind of like, crucible, you know, yeah. do it, have it, and then you're done. Yeah. Now deal with it. There were some really interesting bits, sorry, that I read about um, the some of the first viewings of the film. So people were like interviewed afterwards and that kind of stuff after they'd watched it. And a good percentage of the audience believed they had seen Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. That is the Mandela effect of this film. It yes. is. People yeah. swear they've seen it. I don't know if you noticed it. Just before he shoots him, it does cut to something. Now, you don't know what you've seen, but you mm. know it's cut off it. Yeah. There's like three frames 
of Gwyneth Paltrow's face. Now, not her head. It's of her face from like an earlier shot where she's like smiling and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's enough that it makes you go, wait, what? And I'll then, be honest. I, I remember seeing her face in the, her I, head in the box. I thought I'd seen her head in the box. Same. So I started the research. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You I see the head in the box. No, 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 no. Not we, not, we, you remember it. Remember oh, it. Like in a, yeah. yeah. Not yeah, that we I didn't think it. today that I saw her head no, in the box. No, I didn't. But when, if you had asked me, you, do you see her head in the box? Of yeah, course you see course her head in the box. Yeah. And it's a common Mandela effect yeah. of this film is that people swear they've seen the head in the box. It never actually appears. No. It never appears. People said, oh, in the theater version, it was never no. in any of it. It was never it. in no. it, no. no. And especially if you consider how much they really didn't want that ending full stop. Yeah. Not a close-up of Gwyneth Paltrow's. Now, there was a, 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 a mock-up of her head obviously put in the box. And it would actually be shown as part of a f- film in like 2011 or something like that. Oh, they would okay. reuse that prop 15 years later, which is crazy. That is crazy. How often do you pick you know, your head in a box? You gotta ask <laughs> that. What's that? It's my head in a box. <laughs> so, Imagine you know, being the person that's got to hold on to that for however many years that know. was. Oh, I've got, oh, I've got pa- Gwyneth Paltrow's oh, head in my A Paltrow head in the box? We got that in the back. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd lose my head over that if I lost uh, it. <laughs> brutal. That's not thinking outside the box. box. I'm stealing that from someone who actually left it on our Twitter feed. I was like, guys, just chill. People people might not have seen this yet. (laughs) So um, let's talk about a few... Oh, we didn't mention the credits go the wrong way up the screen. Which I thought was quite nice. Did you notice who got top billing? Um, Yes, I did. It was Kevin Spacey. It was. It was. And he gets Mm. that because in the opening, you you couldn't put his name in there. Because they wanted that to be a surprise. Because if you see Kevin Spacey's name and it's like two-thirds of the movie, you haven't seen who the killer is yet. You're like, well, it's Spacey, isn't it? <laughs> but again, I'd seen the film all that years ago and I totally forgot he was in it. See, I he's totally not in the trailer or anything either. No, he's nothing. He didn't do oh. any His promo work for it. So when he shows up, you're like, wait, yeah. Kevin Spacey's in this? Yeah. Well, I, I purposefully didn't really watch the opening credits because I knew that you'd said to me, just don't look up anyone who's in the film or anything. Absolutely. Like, it's got Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. That's all you need to know. Absolutely. So I didn't look at the opening credits. At all, but it turns out I would have been fine. But to the audience, <laughs> even like you, you walk out going, "Whoa!" Yeah. So I was like, "No one look on IMDb who's in it. Don't do any of this stuff. Just, 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 just watch the movie." Let's play a little uh, version of the game I have to call the swear jar. The swear jar. How many times has the f bomb dropped in this film? Because we just did a very sweary movie last week. Forty-two. Forty-two. I didn't really. Let's I don't get, know. Let's, 10. 23. You guys Seven. are all. We could, add yours, <laughs> we could add yours together. You would still be low. Really? The F bomb is used 74 times. Wow. Oh, my God. I We've guess unlike, completely numbed to I it. guess unlike Samuel, he ruined the word motherfucker it first, did, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we compared to like the way that he delivers it yeah. versus Brad Pitt. And apparently, Brad Pitt's the majority of these. Oh, okay. Because I, no yeah. other. Because he loses control. And that's one of the. How do you show a loss of control? You lose your ability to use professional dialogue. Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, Which we can all relate to. What about the role of women in this film? Very degrading. So you've got Gwyneth Paltrow, who's, you know, all good and well, but she moves her life around for a man. Yep. And then you got a the, prostitute. Yeah, yeah, this yep. brutally murdered. Are there any other women in it? There's the wife of the lawyer. And Pride. Oh, yeah. And Pride, the victim. Oh, oh, great. The one without a face. Mm. <laughs> the, the, so, one, the one who's yes. so into her looks that she yeah. goes to kills herself. I'm going to say poor. Poor, is. I'm going to make an argument. I am, I am. Much like Usual Suspects, I'm going to argue this film is really about a very small number of characters. And the film's really about uh, Mills, Three guys. Somerset, uh, Tracy. I'm going to put Tracy in there. And John Doe. And that's who this film's about. Mm. And everybody else, male and female, are just fillers fillers and placeholders yeah, yeah, yeah. For, 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 for plot. And so if you want to go with the idea that we have an old lion and a young lion, then I'm fine with casting both of them as men. 
the killer as a man, he's going to be, he, he's wrong. He's the villain. So he's allowed to be um, chauvinist and um, oppressive to women because he's the villain. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay to have a villain who's, who, who's, a, who's a dick to women. Yeah. Because he's the villain. If he was the hero, I'd have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And then so the question goes, well, what's Paltrow? Is Paltrow just the wife? And I... I, I thought she. Felt, I don't think she is just the wife because the conversation with Morgan Freeman. I yeah, think that yeah, scene yeah, is yeah. so. She brings a bit more gravity. I to it. think the relationship with, with Morgan Freeman is actually so important. If she, if we didn't have that, and she was just who we saw her yeah. with with Brad Pitt, then she's just how do I hurt Brad Pitt? I kill his wife. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think she's got a lot of depth to her character, so she's definitely an interesting point in the film. It's just the fact that you know she's miserable and she's moved because of him and doesn't get what she wants because of him and it's but she re- but she reaches out she's not just like oh he's yeah, my yeah, husband yeah. she reaches out yeah, she's got, what do i do with she's this got i need strength advice and she's got a, she's got a good character it's just her circumstances aren't very positive like, there film, is film doesn't pass the bechdel test i fully acknowledge oh, no. that there is a, there <laughs> but don't you need two women for, for that yeah. to yeah. have a conversation so no, no no two women have a conversation full stop in this no. movie no no. But despite that, I'm a, it's it's a very zoom in kind of it movie. Is, it is, it is. Yeah. So I'm I'm okay with it. I am, I am. Let's talk about favorite character in the film. We're in the end game now. Favorite character, Liam. You want to start us off? Easy for me. I don't normally go for the main characters, but Brad Pitt for me. Okay. I, I just I could relate to him so much. I, I am that fiery. I found him very hot and cold. I don't know. I oh, the bits I relate. I don't besmirch him. I don't think he did a bad job. Yeah. I, I, for me, he was. I also like Gwyneth Paltrow, but she weren't on screen enough. Yep, I hear that. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, Brad for me. Ellie? Um, Morgan Freeman is the best in everything he does, so definitely him. I'll find something that doesn't prove that to be true. But he <laughs> I, is, may, he is I might nice. not have listed him as my favourite character in The Dark Knight, but he's, he's oh, just great, point. isn't he's, he? Yeah. He's, he's just lovely. Just lovely. Morgan Freeman. Just lovely. That's what he won his Oscar. And Morgan yeah. Freeman for being just lovely in... <laughs> Whatever Ozzy won for. Yeah. Surely he's won an Oscar. He, I don't know. I would hope he's won an I'd Oscar. I'd like to think he had. Georgia? Uh, in, in, oh, you're kind of limited I mean, viewings, but yeah, who, who stood really out to you in the bits you saw? The really strange thing is, I didn't really like Brad Pitt in it, from what I saw, because okay. it was very hot and cold, and I didn't really like Morgan Freeman. So the problem with seeing scenes like you have, yeah. where you're seeing the highlights, is you're seeing just the big moments, and you're not seeing sort of when they're coming back to like their resting sort of spots. Yeah, so I, I did see little bits of that and that kind of stuff, but... Morgan Freeman's voice, if he is just playing a straight man, which he often is, but in this one, especially from what I watched, it bored me. Okay. There wasn't enough peak and flow to his voice to keep me engaged. Okay. So, but I am going to say that my favorite was Morgan Freeman. I am. Um, I felt that with Brad Pitt going all over the place, and I, I, I could have done John Doe. I really, really could have. Our feelings about Kevin Spacey not, notwithstanding, I thought. But he's only in it for the last third. I, the reason I didn't go for Spacey was because he's... He's done this character before. Yeah, the way he's so controlled. But yeah, I just, even the limp. Do you know what I mean? There was so many <laughs> ism. So. Uh, but he had a big 95. So you talk about this, he did this, and he did Usual Suspects yeah. back-to-back. Jeez. You can see he did And he did like Outbreak as well. Outbreak, did he? Yeah, oh, with, wow. with Morgan Freeman. Oh, oh He was okay. a bit role in that. He I haven't a, seen that. That's very good, yes. Uh, so Morgan Freeman won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Million Dollar Baby. Oh, okay. Um, but he's only been nominated for others. So for Best Actor, he was nominated for Invictus, The Short Hank Redemption, and Driving Miss Daisy, and nominated for Best Supporting in Street Smart. Okay. okay. But he's won an Oscar. So Oscar winner, 
Morgan Freeman. I, and I just think, and everybody else was going so big, I think he was able to be the counterpoint and be calm. Mm-hmm. And then for the moments that he does get big, the, the, the laughing scene at home, the bits where he does jump on the counter and get excited like, like a little boy. I mean, he is like, you know, a realistic Danny Glover. Yeah. A cerebral Danny Glover. Yeah. You know, proven he's not, at the end, he wants to stick around and see it finish. He's got an arc. Mm. Which, you know, it seems weird to talk about a guy whose wife gets killed and then he shoots the guy to finish the movie, but he doesn't have an arc. <laughs> How does that guy not have a character arc? <laughs> oh, no. He's just, stop being so mad. Okay, I can't, okay, you got mad again. I can't help it. Okay, you're still awfully mad. I know. But I can relate to that so much. I know you can. <laughs> um, favorite moment, favorite element? My favorite moment, I kind of have two because one's camera angles. You know, when you, when we first meet, not first meet John Doe, the second time we meet John Doe and he's running away from Brad Pitt. Okay, yeah. And they're shooting at the stairs to start with. The camera angle moves with Brad. Yes. So that's from his point of view, which was cool. Uh, My other second favorite bit, I didn't really have any favorite bits in this movie really, but was the ending with Brad Pitt's uh, acting of going through all the different emotions. Because I I can't can't fault that scene. I so relate to that. Yep. Can we get, that's, a, that's, a, that's a perfect scene. It's so, so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's for me. And it's the one you, 15 years ago, you don't remember anything else from the movie, but you will remember that scene. You will. It's, it's what I did. Yeah. 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 Ellie. Um, I think there's something wrong with me. Um, I would never have thought I would say this, but I think probably the bit with the jump scare when Victor is still alive. Yeah. I really me. liked that like scene. I was talking to Liam about it. I think everybody was like, oh, it was awful. I was like, I think it's my favorite bit. Oh, I just recoiled. It's a nice moment, I guess, yeah. Uh, Georgia, in your limited viewpoint, anything you wanted to point out? Just all the details that seem to go into the production of it. Like the timings, like the fact that one of those opening books is about pregnancy, like mm-hmm. all sorts of different bits and All pieces. the clues that are hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to double back down still and say I liked it whenever Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow were together. Yeah, they were nice scenes. There was a tenderness there that um, we see him just being very gruff and whatever, and we saw actual care with her. And in a world where she felt she had nobody, uh, he's probably got to feel like he is nobody a lot of the time as yeah, well. Yeah. And so he gives her somebody and gives her advice and gives her, doesn't tell her what to do, no. doesn't tell her what to do, but gives her options and says, if you do this and do it this way, do it this way. And, and the message is, and I will support you and love you and all that stuff. Whatever happens, yeah. Whatever you decide to do, because it's your choice. Mm-hmm. And she feels, actually I'm talking myself more into this, because she feels mm. like she has no choice. She feels like she's living in the city w- without choice. She is here as the dutiful wife. And he is saying, look, you have a choice here. Whatever that is, make that choice and own that choice. Mm. And it's a massive choice and it's yours. And if, it's, if you do do this and don't let him in on this, this is your choice. And sometimes there's a cross you have to bear in that. And I think that's just a really, really, really powerful scene without going into like the whole overacting side of things. So do you think when he says, you know, like what you just said about don't telling this? Yeah. Do you think even their conversations through the whole film, even on the telephone and everything like that, they don't talk to each other about, oh, I just spoke to your wife. You know, everything is about... She phones and says he's in the shower. It's a confidence. And they set up the meeting. Confi- with, I think thing. she needs someone who she can talk to without the fear. And, and As she, a sounding board. And she just trusts that it's going to be between them. Yeah. Now, that was a nice thing. It was. And that's the thing that stops me from going, Rolla Women isn't dreadful in the film. It's the warm part of the movie. Yeah. She is a little bit of sunlight. Yeah. For both characters. Yeah. 
So think about the impact it has on him. And so mm. say what you will. Like we, we, we see the head in the box. We all focus on Pitt. But for, for William Somerset, that's it. For, for, for Somerset to just run ahead and just be like, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. He's going to have emotions on this as well. Yeah, he just you know, counseled yeah. her. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's smitten, not in a, not in a ro- mm. romantic way, but he, he, he is somewhat enraptured with who she is as a person and yeah. being there for her and, and maybe living vicariously a little bit through her. And if they have this family, what could all that yeah. stuff. And he's sort of taking, you know, I'll, I'll stay as long as you need me to and kind of put his arm around, around pits. So there's something he, in that. Cause he even says at the end of the film, doesn't he, you know, like keep me posted and you know, yep. look after him. Yeah. You know, so there's that duty of care that. from him. What about uh, a little grumble? Should we do a grumble? Grumble. This is not my kind of movie, to be honest with you. I don't like too dark. Yeah, too dark for me. I didn't like the jump scare bit that Ellie liked. <laughs> okay, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't like that sort of stuff. Okay, so yeah, not for me. Ellie, um, for me, it's the last two deaths don't tie in with the other ones. So, as a methodical serial killer, you would think he would make sure everything was oh. the same. But the fact that when Tracy's killed, it's not her sin, and for everybody else that's died, it's it's them that's committed the sin, so like the one that's gluttonous or greedy or mm. etc. Um, so so yeah, she gets killed from that, and the, but he kills her, so that's fine. And then that's his when sin, he dies, he's he's been killed for his envy, fine. But then no one actually dies for the sin of wrath. What 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 if I argue that Spacey dies for the sin of envy? Yeah. Not not for wrath, and for wrath, Brad Pitt will be put down inside. He's he's. Yeah, I I did think that. What if he gets the chair? I I did think that, but firstly, I don't think he would in the circumstances, and secondly, then still for the rest of the film, Spacey doesn't kill anyone. I'm sure as a police officer, if you just flat out kill someone, well, that's that's a much longer conversation. But um, I think I don't think he kills anybody that's sort of in his eyes innocent throughout the film, like anybody that's not for committing one of those sins, and then Tracy has died. Just to prove sin. a point, so he can then make okay. someone kill him for his. So it's it doesn't quite tie in with his methodical structure. Okay, I'm okay with it because I think from a a, a, a text perspective, a narrative perspective. Yeah, I'm okay. With I it. think we're on the border of getting bored by the time we get the death. Yeah, we yeah. get the death five. So and I'm like, to, give me something else because it's seven different. of the same. I'm like, yeah. you know, give me a third act. I need a third act now. Yeah. And and they gave me a third act, and as a result, I was. I think it's really clever. I do. It yeah. is clever and it's interesting. It's it's just not consistent. Um, but I mean, I, I do like the film, so okay. I had to pick something. Georgia, I've not really seen much of it, and what I have seen, I'm all right with. Um, obviously, I wouldn't watch it because, like Liam, it's not my sort of thing, and I know that I wouldn't be able to handle it. But the thing that really annoys me from what I have seen is the bloody logo and title of the film. <laughs> <laughs> seven then in. Yeah, what wrong. the hell? Like the number seven doesn't even look like a V. I did talk about that. Yeah, but that don't bother me. Oh, it really bothers me. It so bothers me. I like that. It's a seven in in. Okay. Uh, Bugs me. Mine would be. um... Yeah, what is yours? I don't know. Because I see you struggling here. It's a bit. I don't want to be that guy. It's a bit drawn. It's a bit drawn out. It just. it's a slow burn. And sometimes I really, really like slow burns. Sometimes I do. And slow so- burns sometimes pay off. Sometimes, yeah. And, and you know, uh, I've got some great movies that I love that are slow burns. Blood Diamond's a slow burn. God of War is a slow burn. I, I like both those movies very, very much. Yeah. Um, 
this, I, I really like Seven. I really, really do. But it's a slow burn, and I feel that at times it gets repetitive in the sense of Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt can't learn anything. That's the whole point. He needs to die because he doesn't learn anything. Yeah. And we need to will him to be better than he is. Yeah. And that's good and all. But in the same breath, then, I felt like we just kept going back to the same beat over and over and over and over again. And there were moments where they wanted it to be a bit you know, this, the, the bit where he chases John Doe through the streets. I'm like, is that really fitting with the tone of the movie? The cerebral, slow-paced thing? And also with or the do, limp, and he still can't catch him. <laughs> or do we need, like, Alpha Cop to be Alpha Cop, and therefore we show the, the, the excuses in it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be like kind of a film. So maybe a little bit of a mixed message, though, I guess. I don't know. And I just would prefer the ending, as we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Black screen it after he dies. Oh, that been, yeah. So much better. Um, so I'm just taking Age game, age game. Can we quickly play the age game? We can, yes. I am prepped and ready. We will start with Kevin Spacey. How old was he? Um, I'll go 36. 38. 32. Ian is right. He was 36. David Fincher. Oh, the director. Jeez. Well, he is in it. Oh, is he? Is he? Briefly, I think, isn't he? He's one of the... One of the corpses. No, that, that was the writer. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. Yeah. My bad. But Fincher, I don't know, 41. But we, but we don't see him. Uh, I'm going to say 38. Say 39 then. 33. Okay. Wow. He's That's quite actually quite young. impressive. Yeah. 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 Brad Pitt. Uh, okay, he's young. Uh, 29. 27. 31. 32. Wow. Yeah. Looking good for the. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. We joked and said he's always been old. Yeah. Because he looks old in this. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him young, to be 54. fair. 54. I'm going to say later, 57. 62. 58. Liam wow. Close, Good yeah. job, buddy. Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, again, young. She's lovely in this. She is. Um, 27. 29. 28. I'm high. You're all high. She was 23. Yeah. Wow. I realized that. Yeah, I really quite young. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's, yeah, yep. of course. Yeah, I'm thinking late 90s for some reason. Yeah. Oh. Didn't really think there's any more okay. of uh, Is this anybody's best role ever? Um, no. It's... Spacey's better in Usual Suspects. Yes, he is. Pitt's better in a handful of things. Yeah. I think. Uh, amongst them, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but other things as well. I like him in Legends of the Fall, but I like him in this. I like him better in um, Interview Vampire. Uh, what about um, Freeman? Well, Freeman's better in Shawshank. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's a short list at oh, that point, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Paltrow, Shakespeare in Love. Not seeing that. Sliding Doors. Sliding Doors was good. She's better in both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, is this Fincher's best film ever? No. What is then? Um, I prefer uh, Vista Fight Club. I I prefer Fight Club. Oh, actually, let me check, think about this. I need to I check how Fight I rate Fight Club, but I'm, I'm with mm. Lestat on this one. Fight oh, Club. <laughs> I think I prefer Fight Club. Okay. Um, and I think I, I think I prefer Gone Girl as well. Okay. And the only thing is, I don't know whether I... Mm, well, it doesn't matter. All right, so while you think about your ratings, let me go ahead. It wasn't reviewed well. Sorry, it was reviewed well by critics who praised the film's dark style, brutality, and themes. Gary Arnold uh, in the Washington Times praised the cast. He's the film's ace in the hole is the personal appeal generated by Morgan Freeman as the mature cerebral cop and Mr. Pitt as the young, headstrong cop. Not that the contrast is inspired or believable in itself, but what gets you to the prowess of the co-stars as they fill out their sketchy character profiles. And I would agree with that. They seem mm-hmm. very one-dimensional and the actors do a yeah. good job with it. Sheila Johnston for The Independent, a British paper, of course, praised Morgan Freeman's performance. It belongs to Freeman and his quiet, carefully detailed portrayal of the jaded older man who learns not to give up the fight. 
uh, whereas James Charisma uh, said that this is uh, his portrayal, Kevin Spacey's that is, is a perfect balancing act. John Doe is detached from the murders he commits, yet deliberate and meticulous in his execution. He's unemotional, yet smug, analytical, violent, patient, and impenetrable. And Roger Ebert said that none of David Fincher's films is better than this one. Okay. Yeah, he would have written that before Gone Girl came out because he would have passed. This film was nominated for one Oscar, uh, Best Film Editing at the 68th Academy Awards, and it lost to the film that Brad Pitt turned down in Apollo 13. Oh, wow. uh, some quick but reviews, he made the right choice. Some quick reviews from some of our friends. The Paul and Griff Show say, Seven is simply amazing. What I love is that it does. You never see the murders, but your imagination does, especially with mm. the knife strap on. Yeah, Paul and Griff, we weren't feeling that one here. Your mind <laughs> takes you there, and for a film to do it without showing you the act is a powerful thing. Still, I think it's still just a cake in the box. Too powerful for me to. It's watch. a musical <laughs> podcast. Says anytime Drew, that's one of the hosts, gets delivery, I have to say, "What's in the box?" With what I imagine to be the same tone and manner as Brad Pitt, the film is genius, and I blame it for my fascination with true crime as an adult. I know it's not true crime, but the case is so fascinating. I love the theme. I also love the direction and cinematography, and I love the dynamic between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. I haven't watched it for years, and unfortunately, due to the casting of John Doe, don't think I can ever watch it again, which is a shame because oh, okay. it's great. And Ryan L. Terry said, "Great selection. I include seven of my American." American cinema classes, an additional screening the week that we screen The Silence of the Lambs. What I enjoy talking about is the Mandela effect with the what's in the box, because peeps swear that we see Gwyneth Paltrow's mm-hmm. head in the director's cut, but we never do. Director's I... cut, I hope, is not an intentional pun. Actually, I hope it is. <laughs> uh, the Smoke and Mirrors podcast said when, when R. Lee Ermery uh, it's the phone, this ain't even my desk, and puts it and slams it down again. And then Alieni Silvermist said she came to mention the Mandela effect thing as well, mm. the idea that we all think that. I find it fascinating. This movie is one of my top tens, and I absolutely loathe Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, but the movie is so good, I just don't care. And that for us is Seven with What Did We Rate It, though? Liam, you are up. What does Seven get? Okay, I know I didn't like this film, uh, just for the gore fest and the dead bodies and stuff like that. It's not my thing. But I'm going to give it cliche-ness a seven <laughs> a seven a solid seven because i do like brad pitt in this i know a lot of people trash him in this but he showed elements of me in this film and so i totally related to it um with him uh so yeah i'm gonna give it a seven ali i'm gonna give it an eight and a half okay. i really quite liked it okay i also gonna go eight and a half um i guess clever and I think clever is something we don't see enough of. And it wasn't so clever that it gets in the way. Yeah. It's not Inception. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm sorry, some people just went, ah, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, sometimes cleverness gets in the way. This doesn't. Cleverness gave me, it gives you an ending that you'll be talking about for 15 years. And uh, it definitely wasn't that. Yeah. And so many movies don't stick the landing. No. This thing sticks the landing. Completely. I wouldn't have done the coda at the end, no. but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, who remember, no one remembers the coda. If you had, forget that, forget the head in the box. If you had told me he shoots him and then it cuts to black, I'd have gone, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that stupid Hemingway quote. No. No. Not that Hemingway's stupid, just the idea to put it here is. Yeah. So that was how we felt about that. Uh, Liam, you have our choice for next week. So I, what are we doing? I do. And surprisingly, you mentioned him earlier. What? You mentioned Sylvester Stallone. Oh, my. Oh, oh wow. Well, okay. My brain started racing through. I, can, I, I think I've got an idea in my head now. Yeah. Throw mama from a train. No. <laughs> <laughs> my face. <laughs> Stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> That was so funny. Uh, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, No, Rocky. I love this movie. I love, love, love it. Wow. This movie, whenever, it's one of my go-to movies. 
But I also, once I start watching the first one, I then have to watch the second, third, fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of go through the lot. I go I, through the anthology. I got news for you. I think the first one's the only one that qualifies. Yeah, I think yeah. it does, yeah. So you be, here's your wild cards for the next six years. <laughs> <laughs> Until you get to Creed. Then Creed qualifies again. Oh, okay. Or Rocky Balboa, I think, actually qualifies. Yeah. But yeah. But the first one is amazing. The first one won Best Picture. Yes, it did. It did. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone wrote a movie that won Best Picture. If that's not that's a Mandela, like, I'll be going, no, seriously, tell me again. Like More so than like you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing themselves a movie to win Best Picture. Do you, you know how I have my love for John Travolta in like Sad Night Fever, Grease? You have brought it up once. Um, in Sad Night Fever, in his bedroom, he has a poster of Rocky. Does he? Which is when you think of 77 and Rocky came out in 76. And then later on... Staying Alive is then written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Shut up. The sequel. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Staying Alive. Yeah. So, uh, one last thing. We are going to be doing a special Halloween episode, and we are going to let you, the public, vote on what film we are going to be reviewing. So you can watch all our faces, or at least we'll tell you how they look yep. when we find out the results. So let's go over the table one at a time and give our choice and why we've picked it. Liam, let's start with you. I'm going to go for Halloween. Okay. Mike Myers. Yeah. Aptly named. Um, because I don't like horror movies. And this is the one horror movie I can watch. Um, it's the music that draws me in. So, yeah. I like the suspense in this movie. Because you don't really see blood. You don't see gore. Okay. It's, yeah. Halloween. So, one of the options will be Halloween. Aptly named for the time. Yes. Georgia. Um, so I think I made it quite clear by one, not watching this film, and two, bits and pieces I've said throughout this. I do not like horror. This next month is going to be hard for me. I you, I might just be fact-checking for a while, especially if it is uh, Halloween. Um, I won't be able to watch that. But if our viewers like me, and I know I'm a couple of people's favourites, so they won't go with that, and they will pick my choice of uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hey! I did think this because I only watched it the other day. That was on my short list. Of I watched I it two do. days ago. <laughs> Ellie, do you have your pick? I do, yes. Um, it actually qualifies for best film ever as well. Um, I'm going to go for Coraline. Don't know it. That's it's the animated one, one with the dolls yeah. with the um, oh, okay. button, button eyes. eyes. Okay, cool. I won't be watching that either because it's terrifying. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah. Yeah. What have you chosen? So I, <laughs> and I feel we should say this was Liam's kind of first choice, and thankfully he had a backup, so I can go ahead and say my choice is uh, they're going to just announced they're going to do a fifth one in the series, and yeah. Nev Campbell will return. Yeah. Don't let that stop you though from enjoying the first one, which was Scream. And in my conversation today with Ryan L. Terry, I was discussing about actually. He said that we were talking about Scream and how he thinks it's the it's the perfect screenplay opening ever. I love and it. I think he's one hundred percent right. I love it. Yeah. And it's a Scream. I think is a Scream, and it I, is. I think it's one of those things that makes fun of horror movies while at the same time kind of being a horror movie. Not really enough that it would scare you. You'd be I was going to say, is that going to be one I can watch? You would be more it's impressed a... with the fact yeah. of like how it's like self referential and things. Yeah. like that it's right, very okay. clever very very it's clever. very very clever oh, all right okay yeah, it's like okay a, with that it's like if deadpool was like a horror movie yeah in a sense. It's see like, i'm okay with horror like comma horridy comma horrid it is like comma <laughs> horridy. it's kind of it kind of is well at the same time it still adheres to the rules of being a horror movie yes. itself but it's not grotesque it's not it trust me on this it's okay. something you can get through it's got it's got the funds in it so, so it's halloween <laughs> Coraline, rocky horror picture show yeah. and scream as the options so yeah. that's it from us so the power leaves this side of the microphone and it goes to you guys wherever yeah. you are please let us know what you think we should be watching and it's kind of it's kind of a little bit 
weird for the first time. The power is not in our hands to yeah. sort of figure us out. And just to let you all know, I will be taking it personally. If you pick one of the ones I won't be watching, I'll be taking it as an affront that you don't want to hear my voice for that episode. <laughs> and we will be announcing which film, it'll be up for a while, but we'll be announcing which film wins the poll uh, on our episode that will drop um, Tuesday the 27th of October, we will announce which one hits that one. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, October 27th, we'll announce which one is hitting the 31st. And our, our, our aim is to drop that actually on Halloween Day. Yes. So we will see how that goes. It's, it's, it's going to be a bonus episode that day, that week. You'll get two for bonus. the price of Bonified one. Bonus, bonus, bonus episode. Bonafide bonus episode. Bonus Halloween-y episode. themed. I'm glad that no one chose Halloween-y. Because <laughs> I was a little bit scared about that. Hotel Transylvania? Can I pick that? Can I change my choice? No. <laughs> <please don't. laughs> so, for Best Film Ever, I've been Ian. And I've been Liam. I've been Ellie. And I've been Georgia. And please, you want to implore, get out there and vote for our Halloween special so that on the 27th, you too can find out what's in the box. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Time in, in the, the world. world. Oh, whoops! I just had it and <laughs> I lost it. Oh, Here we no. are now. Here we are now.